Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and as always by my good friend, my business partner, the perhaps the most handsome man in Bridgewater, Virginia. <laughs> Bridgewater, Virginia is going to take great umbrage with that statement. <laughs> Mr. Jason Neal Patrick Harris Johnston Yellen of the Bridgewater Neil Patrick Harris Johnston Yellens. <laughs> it's true. We have a mighty lineage in this fair mm-hmm. town. Yeah. It goes back, goes back at least eleven years. At least. What does the Neil Patrick Harris Johnston Yellen tartan look like? It is. It looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. <laughs> Just like someone sneezed all over the place. <laughs> Somebody sneezed in tartan. <laughs> it is. It's a hell of a look. A mm-hmm. hell of a look. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, listen. You were. You were. I'm taking the lead here. You oh boy. were. Oh boy. Uh, you, you were in Chicago and and a, a place beginning with M. Uh, which which place beginning with M were you in last week in addition to yeah, Chicago Yeah, I was town? in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the Minneapolis. for the fir- Yeah, for the first time in my life. I've I've had this going list, right? I have this dream of visiting all 50 states. And I had 7 to go and Minnesota was mm-hmm. one of those 7, so now I've got 6 to go and wow. I got to be with a great distributor of ours, the wine company, who do a fantastic job uh, with Single Cast Nation, and of course, with all Impact's brands as well. And our sales rep out there, who really takes good care of, of SCN, and I got to visit my uncle, whom I haven't seen in six years, and my cousin, who I've not seen in 12. I saw him when he was 20, and I got to see him when he's 32. Like, <laughs> wild. <laughs> Wow, yeah. Minneapolis. Yeah. It's Minneapolis. the smaller of the Appleses. <laughs> Is Indianapolis larger than Minneapolis? Well, it's more independent than, oh. than Minneapolis is. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis is more independent than Minneapolis. Yeah, and Annapolis is just one of the Appleses. It's just Annapolis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all I can think of is apples, and here we are talking in the fall. It seems the perfect time to be apple-focused. Perfect. <laughs> there you go. Um, not not talking about apples, but I'm curious, though, what what did you see? What's what's Chicago like right now from a, a market standpoint, and what's Minneapolis like right now from a market standpoint? Well, Chicago was, you know, when I was at... When I was in Chicago, I had a very focused reason for being there. And I had uh, Annabelle Thomas from Nick Neen with me, Hmm, the founder and CEO of of Nick Neen. And so, you know, really we were focused on launching that brand. And we did a a great event with Drammers, got to see Michael Nolan and and Gil Matar and Ilhan over there. Charlie Prince was there. Um, and we did a large whiskey and barrel night event. Like, I think, I think Chicago remained Chicago, just, you know, a great whiskey town. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what I can say is new there or different there. But what I can tell you 
as far as Minneapolis is concerned, it's really cool that they really cherish their independent shops. They've, they've got a, um, you know, really good base of independent shops that, um, you know, focused on the hand sell, be it wine, be it spirits, be it beer. And that was really cool to see. I didn't know what to expect, but it's really about the independent shops. So Hmm. yeah, yeah, that was, that was really nice to see. So no, no government control happening in that state. They are just straight up independents, yeah. independent distributors. Oh, what a dream. Yeah. It is possible. Yeah, 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 yeah it, it, exactly. And <laughs> it, it's... For those of us in Virginia and, and Pennsylvania, <laughs> like, Ohio, could you imagine yeah. a world in which... <laughs> so it is doable. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's it's totally doable. I had some great seminars there and, and got to educate the masses on... Single Cast Nation and Loch Lee and, you know, and Arden American and a few other brands, Kill Homan. And it was just, it's not, you know, it was actually interesting. Some of the events that I did where, where I'm talking about these brands, it almost felt as if I was rewinding the clock back to when we were trying to highlight Aaron and Kill Homan and Ben Riach mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. some of these brands. And you say, okay, who's heard of Loch Lee? <laughs> and you know, no one raises their hand. I say, okay, who's heard of the of Lafroig and the name John Campbell? And, and the hands go up, right? And, and so you're there again, and and just sort of educating the masses on on some of these newer brands. And and to me, that's the fun part. It's almost easier to do that because people mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. know about new things. You know, I would almost I would almost argue ten, twelve years ago there probably was less a desire for people to learn about new things. And now it is all about the new things. So mm. that, was, that was a nice experience. Well, speaking about brands and, and new things, and, and some might say transitions, mm. uh, our, our episode, a couple of episodes ago, mm-hmm. where you and I had each come up with a top five list yeah. American spirits, we had bourbon, we had rye, we had American single malt. Mm-hmm. And and we get into a little chat about Henry McKenna. Mm. And one of one of your bits of conversation was you know, if we can if we can talk honestly on this podcast, and I believe we have for seven years, if I can talk honestly on this podcast, you had said Henry McKenna had never really lit your world on fire. Mm, never. And and then there was a little bit of a of a conversation around Maybe older McKenna was better than newer McKenna. Hmm. And and we got a, a message from Drew Beard, uh, who writes over at Drink Hacker. And I, I happened to see him, a, a, <laughs> I was going to say a couple of weeks ago, literally a month ago <laughs> at the Jack Rose <laughs> Premier Drums event. Mm-hmm. And... and, um, and so, so Drew wrote in and said, listening to your latest and greatest, agree on McKenna as a pick, mm-hmm. but perhaps not the bottlings since the Craig age statement shuffle parentheses coincidence question mark. Oh. Uh, Drew continues, sounded like you were sipping 2010 to 2014 stuff, which is when I fell in love with it. 
haven't had the same appreciation for more recent bottlings. Hmm. Then again, we're all getting spoiled. And then he adds on, I toured the distillery in 2010 and remember the guide telling me McKenna bottled in bond was the bottle the distillery workers favoured over everything else. Wow, that's that's right. interesting. Okay, right. So, so, th- so he and I then continue to have a, a bit of back and forth. But that was the that was the general thrust of the message that he'd sent in, which really echoed this: be careful which year you're pulling from, and since winning the award, since going on allocation, yeah. I haven't sought it out. I had mentioned in our recording mm-hmm. that I had seen it on shelves in California and, and a fair number on shelves in California didn't pick up a bottle, should have, should have picked it up, should have given it a taste, should have, you know, been able to comment on newer McKenna yeah. versus older McKenna. And so... I am in a lucky position. I had said that on the episode, you know, I, I was having a, a 2014 bottling uh, of a, a 2004 distillate. Hmm. So right in that 2010 to 2014 window that Drew talks about being the the, the period for those uh, McKenna bottled and bonds. So I, I thought it was worth returning to because you'd, you'd raised a question in the moment uh, I certainly have the the era that I've been enjoying. I think it's worth saying your mileage may vary. You know, dear listener, you know, pay attention to the distillation year, the barreling year, the bottling year. You know, pay attention to those things as you're uh, experiencing it. Well, they're they're all single barrel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me wonder: is it a year thing? You know, similar to how Scotch whiskey producers have certain eras that have certain flavor profiles that that people might enjoy over others, or is it simply just a hit or miss thing and you can't taste all the barrels that have been bottled situation? Um, you know, just, just because it hasn't floated my boat in the past doesn't mean I'm not going to give it a go moving forward. I, you know, people love it. You know, there's there's a good chance I may have missed out on the the bottlings people have loved, or maybe it just simply does not fit my mouth the way it fits <laughs> other people's mouths. You know, but to me, it's also one of those interesting ones that for me it had a life before it won the award. Yeah, it then wins the award. It's on everybody's radar. It's on allocation. You have a much harder time getting it unless you're in the great state of California. Mm-hmm. But now you go into it with award-winning expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you and I know that brands live very different lives pre-award and post-award, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, one, one, of the, one of the ones from back in the day when old Pulteney 21-year-old was named by, by Jim Murray the, the best whiskey in the world. You know, the people at Old Pulteney didn't think the 21 was their best offering. They thought the 17 was their yeah. best offering. Oh, 100%. And, Everybody and knows then, the 17 was the better offering. <laughs> Even Kip Winger knew the 17-year-old was the better offering. Well, and then you don't, 
you can't you can't find the twenty one year old anywhere, right? The twenty one year old's gone, but you could still pick up the seventeen. The twenty one year old started living a completely different life <laughs> after being named the best whiskey in the world. Expectations on the twenty one yeah. were completely different after yeah. being named yeah. the best whiskey yeah. in the world. So, you know, it, it really it really can change uh, how one perceives a brand, and I think it can really change expectations as well. But I I do I I need to. Gosh, I'm kind of girding my loins on this one. I I need to pick up a, a new McKenna bottled and bought. It won't be coming from uh, Virginia because we ain't got it in this state. <laughs> <laughs> it's rarer than hen's teeth. So I might need to place a call to California and and, uh, and grab one over there. there but go. there you go. So that was Drew Beard. Uh, I wanted to get that in the last episode and we just kind of ran out of time. But got it at the start of today's. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, can I do one more bit of follow-up business? Because it's it's been on my mind. It'd be weird if I said no. It would be very weird. Uh, you had had showed me had, had sent a photograph along. <laughs> go easy, of... go easy. Where you go next year? <laughs> <laughs> that was the world's smallest elephant trunk. That's all I can tell you. And <laughs> for a second, I thought you were using your pinky. So. <clears throat> So it's the elephant trunk with you. <laughs> so, so you'd send me a photo of some chiacharo, which we we had such fun uh, covering in the last episode. And I was having a little catch up conversation with Ben Weldy, mm-hmm. good friend, good listener, good supporter, uh, good musician as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was saying that one of his local stores had the chiacharo on sale, mm-hmm. and he actually picked up. Uh, a couple of bottles of the Chiacharo yeah. and, and as, a, as an Amaro fan. And, and with you sending me the photo, I feel like we're living in a Chiacharo world. It's, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> uh, what, what, were you, what was your experience like with the Chiacharo? And, and did you, and I'm leading the witness, I know that you did. Uh, did you use it in a cocktail? It's so funny you might ask, Jason. Um, <laughs> Is that funny? Yeah, you know, it's it the the funny bit is you mentioning the Chiacharo last week or two weeks ago or four weeks ago, whenever it was. Yeah. You know, it's both of us have been on this discovering new Amaro's journey and, and what's nice is you can find bottles for twenty, twenty five, thirty, thirty five dollars and really explore some great flavors. Mm-hmm. Um I had been drinking the Yeer one. It has the California on on the label, and I still do. Mm-hmm. That that is a favorite of mine. But this Chiacharo has such a great profile to it. It's a bit sweeter. And first, I tried it on the rocks, or first I tried it straight. Then I tried it on the rocks because I wanted to see what ice may do to it, what the what the flavors will do to it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what would complement this? And boom, my mind went to Iraq, not the country of Iraq, but the spirit called Iraq, which is in sort of like the, the Uzo family, or maybe Uzo is in the Iraq family. I I don't know, but it's, it's, um, it's like a black licorice sort of profile. And so I said, what if I do a 50, 50 of this? 50% Iraq, 50% Chiacharo. 
And what was cool about it, I don't know if you know Iraq well or Uzo well. But yeah, what, I know Rocky. Yeah, Adrian. Ah, oh, speaking of which, Polly just died. From Rocky? Polly. Rocky. Yes, Rocky. Rocky. Oh, yep. You don't With know you. Rocky so well, yeah. do you, Jason? <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> um, I honestly didn't know what the connection was. <laughs> Rocky. Rocky. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so one of the cool things about Iraq or Uzo is when you add ice to it, it and just give it a quick swirl, it instantly clouds up. It becomes milky white like a, like a Nagori sake or something like that. So I put a rock in my glass, I put the chimicharo in my glass, and I gave it a swirl. And when you look at it, the rock stays to the bottom and is milky white, and the amaro stays to the top and is black as night. Now, I didn't, I didn't shake, I just did a stir. So it was really visually attractive to look at this sort of two-layer drink. And then... With your suggestion, I added some orange bitters to it, just a couple of dashes. <laughs> and holy crap, was that delicious. The black licorice <laughs> soup was, was tamed by some of the herbaceousness from the Amaro. And some of the rootiness was complemented by the sweetness of the black licorice. And then that, that orange, that citrusy bitter just tied the room together like like the dude's rug. Like, it was awesome. And, Jason, dear listener, I gave it a name because it's now a cocktail that I drink on the rag, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> so my cocktail name is Arachnomario. <laughs> Instead of arachnophobia, Arachnomario. Uh, just makes me think of Super Mario. How you could get Super Mario in there. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting combo when you were messaging me about this and I was thinking that that aniseed with that herbal, it sounded like it was, I don't want to say one note, but, but it, it seemed like a family of flavours mm -hmm. pulling in a singular direction. And I, and I wondered if it was maybe one of those things you take a sip of and you go, oh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. You take a second sip and you think, yeah, that's still kind of interesting. And by the third sip, you're kind of like, yeah, it's not really doing anything else. Hmm. And that idea of that orange bitter just seemed like it might pop and just give, the, give those other flavors an opportunity to, you know, evolve or shapeshift maybe if we're going to go with the yeah. arachnophobia angle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of disagree with you. I, I think I think the Iraq does one thing and the Amaro does another thing. Do they live in the same family? I don't know that they necessarily live in the same family. They may be they may be kissing cousins, but Iraq is or I should say the Amaro are heavier flavors and the Iraq is 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 lighter flavors, brighter, right? Um while it is Aniseedy, uh, black licorice. It's it's brighter than the amaro, and the bitters just sort of ties it together. Yeah, in, in the in the old style of hashtag, please drink the bottle responsibly. 
when I was 19, uh, an uncle and aunt of mine came back from Turkey and, and brought a bottle of Raki, which is this same family of spirits that you're talking oh, about. Oh, that Rocky, and not Rocky the movie. Yeah, Got I, I didn't quite know what the follow-up was. <laughs> and um, and uh, my, my, my friend Francis, my friend mm. Andrew, mm. Uh, we got together at my house and we were drinking pints of Rocky and orange juice. Oh. And... Whoa. It it was hashtag a lot. <laughs> and, and and not to get too too gruesome in the, the intro of the episode, but and <laughs> and unfortunately you you've had experience of this in, in getting suitably absolutely positively hammered on Raki and orange juice, mm-hmm. I threw up in our downstairs bathroom sink. And <laughs> it just Absolutely filled it. It was gruesome, absolutely so, horrific. <laughs> so I have my own experience, <laughs> exactly, of you vomiting in my sink, and now you're vomiting exactly. in this other sink. Don't you know toilets exist? <laughs> like, come on, dude. So, so, so this is what I said to you the last time as well. I I know I'm hammered when I'm throwing up in sinks. Like, you know, everyone's got a little go-to thing they do. Mm-hmm. Like their little, oh, I know I'm really gone when. It's like, you know, I wake up in the, you know, in the outside shed or, you know, I, I go to sleep under my bed. Mine is I throw up in the sink, not in the toilet. That's just... Do you know... Do you know I was told recently, this this is great, this idea of you've drunk so much and then you wake up the next day wondering what happened, It's that was referred to me this past week as werewolfing. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Where the, you've got the full like moon, it. you've turned into the werewolf, you've killed all yeah. the, the animals in the zoo, <laughs> and then you've woken up one, <laughs> with no clothes on and, and wondering how you got there. That's what it's like to drink too much. <laughs> Which I think ties in a little bit with Mark Watt's use of the fear, um, right? That moment when you, you do, you, and you yeah, think, yeah. oh, shit, did I kill all the villagers or <laughs> half the villagers, you know? <laughs> and of course, we're speaking in metaphors yes, here, yes, but, yes, yes. you know, did I burn the whole city to the ground or just part of it? Like, <laughs> you know, that, that sense of what did I do? So, yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a gruesome. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So, so let me let me let me take us out of that, okay? But yeah, back to the idea of transitions and with cocktails in mind. <laughs> uh, our guest today is is Mike from Travel Bar. You know, you and I have made it a habit as of as of late to visit some of our our friends within the bar and restaurant world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bill Thomas, Thad Vogler, these are these are a couple of, mm-hmm. of recent names. You know, in the past we've spoken with uh, Mike Miller of Delilah's and Aaron Zacharias of Fountainhead and, and so on. I'm going to make an incomplete list here and I apologize. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But we've been wanting to speak with, with Mike at Travel Bar <laughs> for, for quite a while. Very true. And, and, you know, Travel Bar, despite it being in Brooklyn... Despite it being a neighborhood bar and I don't live in that neighborhood, it's it's a go-to for me. Partially, 
because of his whiskey selection and his knowledge of the whiskeys on the shelf because he's the guy curating them. But also, dude can make a solid, solid cocktail. It's a passion of his. And they're changing up all the time, right? Because he's, you know, he buys small. So if he needs to change up a cocktail, he's going to change up mm. a cocktail here and there, which, which can be fun, mm-hmm. you know? Cocktails are nice sometimes because you can rely on them. And sometimes they're nice because maybe you change up in a greeting and they're being taken in another direction. Yep. So it was nice to, to visit Mike. And, and you'll hear in the interview, Jason and the listeners, that we had a little bit of a guest in the conversation. And that was David Cover of, of M&H. I recorded this conversation ah, while, while David was with us. So, you know, we're, we're talking what it's like to be a neighborhood bar, what it looks like coming out of COVID and 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 you know just just his his journey which is a really fascinating one um i didn't know if there's anything you wanted to add before we before we jumped into it but the only thing is that i too have wanted to get to travel bar for a long long time <laughs> and i have still never been <sighs> and i desperately desperately want to see it yeah. and so i i i lead into the interview with with the apology to Mike that he has invited me over many, many times and I desperately want to see it and experience it. And I haven't. And uh, for that, I'm sorry, but I do look forward to the interview. With that said, just for the listener, you'll hear that the conversation sort of picks up mid conversation there's no there's no introduction you just you hear a sort of <laughs> picking up from a conversation so uh, just just know you're you're get, you're sort of getting dropped in the middle of a conversation here <laughs> but it's uh but it, it was a great one so so it, without a further ado let's let's hand it over to to me to Mike and uh, and of course to our friend David Cover at MNH What's the? I see an empty single cast nation bottle up there. Well, that, that's my wall of proudness. That's my wall of proud, right? All right. So the I'll start at the beginning. The barrel is. Uh, I was invited to Barrel Craft Spirits Lab. I was the first bar owner to ever go to the lab and and uh, make my own blend with a guy named Jay West, and that was uh, w- there was nine hundred bottles made. Okay. I bought thirty bottles. Jay bought the rest, and. Uh, I just I got my 30 bottles and I opened the cases and pulled out a bottle and we finished the first one in a couple yeah. days and when I went to put it on the wall up there I noticed it was bottle 900 totally Whoa. random the last one the last one wow it was the first one we finished at the bar that's awesome yeah and then there's other things up there uh, like the Dram Hunters was my favorite whiskey last year that's the 14 uh, year old Leitchig with a rum cask okay um, National Barrel Company made me that bottle of five-year-old bourbon when they didn't make bourbon yeah. to the Republic. Yeah. But they put my label on it outside of it when I won. The first time I won uh, the Bourbon Review's uh, Best Bourbon Bars in America. Okay. Super That's sweet. That's awesome. Super yeah. nice. Super nice. Uh, again, it's often my first bottle that I kill of one of my single barrels. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, just... What's the travel bar thing up there? It's like a... That's is a, it a puzzle or a... 
or a game? What is it's, that? It's, uh, pardon my French, it's the name of my fucking bar you're sitting in. No, I know that, but it looks, <laughs> it looks like, um, it looks old school. It looks it like is, something. All of the travel bars that I own are bought at thrift stores or were given to me. And this one was given to me for my fifth anniversary from a, uh, a regular. And he found it at a estate sale. So, so what, is a, what is a travel bar? Though? Travel bar is a little suitcase that has the bottles on one side and the mixing implements on the other. And often glassware as well. Oh, so, okay. So, I so was that looking, was the actual case. Yes. And this one is probably from the 60s, early 70s. And it has a little booklet that says mixology with a very 70s uh, couple oh, 100%. In, in the front. So the amount of cocaine they did before they <laughs> had that picture taken. Uh, but what's interesting is there's a complete disconnect to the actual picture on the box, which is like a Jerry Thomas era. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, old timey. Yeah. Top hat kind of scene. Old Tom gin cocktails. Exactly. In that right Back now. when old fashions had gin in them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then going down farther down the line, a lot of a lot of bottles. Uh, my birth year is '68, so when I turned 50, a regular got me four minis uh, from 1968. Those were up there, and then the uh, the canvas, 28 year old, which was my favorite single cast nation ever, oh, awesome. is on the wall. Yeah, because that was uh, such a special bottle to me. It was uh, strawberries and cream, yep. and I just yep. loved it. And then I went on this rabbit hole of old canvas and I found yeah. one that was peaches and cream by Douglas oh, Lang wow. and I just went on this whole so canvas it's like, yeah exactly you know in lieu of photographs I have bottles on the wall and I look at them and I have like these memories awesome. flashback of who I drank it with or where yeah. I was or who I got it from or so yeah and not many people ask oddly there you go it's fine it's I'm, cool, the one that, I'm the one that stares at them from behind the bar so what's nice too is it's not filled you've got room to add on as your history builds it's true right yeah if I've only done this after nine years yeah so (laughs) so speaking of that speaking of history uh for our listeners who who may not know travel bar though should know travel bar give us a little history first of yourself and then you said nine and a half years ago you opened this so nine years we opened yeah nine years it'll be nine years uh november thanksgiving weekend so did you always come from the bar world? Yes. I started bartending in 1988. Uh, I, did, I worked at a catering, a fine catering company in Columbus Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, the whole time I was in college. And I worked there with a couple siblings and uh, a lot of my friends. And mm. uh, it was called Made From Scratch. And it's still <laughs> going today. And this was in a time when... Uh, Common people didn't have things catered. It was like the upper echelon of Columbus, Ohio that had catered events or it was corporate events. And we were famous for the spill and flow, which was you put fruit and vegetables in a basket and you build this waterfall with number 10 cans and plywood and cover it with gold lame. And then you take the basket of fruit (laughs) and you take it to the top and you gently turn it sideways and it spill and flows down. The fruit. The fruit spill and flows down the, the waterfall <laughs> of the setup you've made. And it was stunning in 1988. Wow. Everybody was blown away by it. And then you would half out a cantaloupe and put the dip in there and shove it in the middle oh, of the, there you go. You know, in the middle of the spill and flow. So, but yeah, and uh, the first time I ever bartended, true story, uh, Ted and Tony Masters, they were the captain on this particular wedding party of 200 people. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was funny to put me behind the bar and walk away and never come back until the end of the wedding. Uh, 
So it was, it was again in the late eighties, it was gin and tonics and beers yeah. and wine. It was simple. Yeah. Yeah, but that's literally the first time I bartended was for a wedding for 200 people by myself. Trial by fire. Trial How'd by go? fire. Yeah, they thought it was hilarious. When yes. I went to the back, they were all laying on the floor laughing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then I moved to Portland, Oregon uh, after okay. college. I actually moved to Portland while I was in college. Went back, finished college, and then uh, I worked at a place called Atwaters. Okay. And Atwaters was in Big Pink, which was a uh, office tower in uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. And uh, my brother worked there. Again, a lot of family members. We're all we're yeah. all in the industry. Yeah. My sister worked there at one point. And I started in catering again, and then I moved up to bartender there. And then I was an assistant wine guy there too, which I loved. Oh. We had okay. a six thousand bottle wine list. Holy it was cow. amazing. So got to drink a lot of great wine, learn about wine. Took a lot of trips to Napa and mm. Sonoma, mm -hmm. and we would go to Zap every year, which is in San Francisco. Uh, Zinfandel, something, and producers, appreciators, anyway, it's an yeah. acronym. Um, but, so yeah, so um, I, I moved to New York as a wine guy. Huh, okay. And, uh, so no interest in whiskey at this point. I mean, I drank whiskey, sure. Yeah, I've been but drinking whiskey my whole life. Wine was my... Livelihood. Exactly. Yeah, yes, that's okay. right. And I bartended, of course. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to New York, New York was a place where um, first just dining. Dining in, New dining in Portland was very regional, very, uh, the menus mm -hmm. changed once mm -hmm. a month. It was like you had, to, you had to be on your game. You had to be 30 years old before you applied to be a captain on a floor of a fine dining restaurant. Yeah. It was very old school. And the menus changed so much, you had to memorize everything, and you'd be quizzed, and it was, oh, wow. it was a profession. Sure. And uh, and so I moved to New York to work in the top restaurants. That's literally why I came here, which <laughs> sounds funny. Uh, and Gotham. Well, I worked at Gage and Tallner for just a month. Okay. Back when it was the original, I left that to go to Gotham, and I quickly learned that New York has so many restaurants that restaurants don't switch their menus. They have a fall menu, they have a winter menu, wow. and then the, every year they go back to it. They don't change mm -hmm. the menu every year or every month or, you know, yeah. because there's enough restaurants where you go to a restaurant to have that thing, and yeah, if, you, sure. if they don't have yeah. it, you're pissed. Yep. So yep. that's, it's a different model in New York, and that was a hard lesson for me. I expected to keep on this path of food and learning, mm. and that was kind of, Taken away, really. Wow. Okay. And then on the wine front, I found out that in order to be a wine person in New York, you also had to be a floor manager. And I'd always been a bartender and a wine guy, and I oh. had zero desire to be a manager. Okay. So I just kept bartending. Okay. And then kind of um, just turned my focus to bartending. Yeah. Which was great. What about managing turned you off? People. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're already dealing with the public, which takes yeah, a special yeah. kind of person yes, to deal with that. Yeah. And then to then also deal with a whole nother set of people mm. in another manner. Yeah. It's just too much. Yeah. Um, it's just, for me, it was, I'm a pretty outgoing guy, but the flip side of that is <laughs> I'm alone all day by myself. <laughs> and I need that as yeah, the flip, yeah, yeah. you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. So I just, I didn't want to take on also managing people. I didn't, it was, mm -hmm. didn't interest me. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I worked at Gotham. Um, and then I worked at BLT Steak from there. And then I went to uh, Masa. And when I started at Masa, I remember going in for the interview and looking at their cocktail menu, and their cocktail menu had a Tangeray Martini on it. Okay. They were not with the times. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they hired me, and I worked there for three and a half years as the head bartender. And it, throughout those three and a half years, at one point, I was the sake buyer, the wine buyer, everything. There was a lot of turnover there, so I, I was the steady. So I did a lot of hats mm. there, but I always created the cocktails. And that's where I got to play because there was no budget. I could do whatever I wanted. We used oh, to wow. fresh squeeze our own pomegranate juice. <laughs> we would de-seed them <laughs> and then put it in a towel and then pull down a press, like a citrus yeah, yeah, press, yeah, sure. yeah. to make our own pomegranate. Yeah. We used to pit our own olives in front of the customer for every martini. I mean, it was, you know, we had yuzu flown in from Japan. Wow. So we had the freshest of everything, and it was wow. all of these great new ingredients that I'd never worked with, and it was, yeah. you know, it was, it was, I had a blast. I really it's like did. like a playground. It was like yeah. a playground, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I had <laughs> excellent whiskey options there. Mm -hmm. So. What year are we talking? Uh, I started, I started at Masa in 2004 and left in 2008. Okay. Okay. So you. Oh, you must have had great whiskey options because no one gave a shit about no, whiskey back ex then. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So was that something having those options to you? Do you like, obviously you wanted to, to create like cocktails seems like a place for you to really express yourself through flavor. Right. But then you had these whiskey options. Did you find yourself as this sort of. Uh, uh, what's like a concierge of, of, of whiskey, just like leading people around? Or did your customers know their whiskeys at that point? What was the client? Customers like? did not know whiskeys, okay. and whiskeys were not popular. Okay. I mean, it's also a sushi restaurant, sake. Yeah, 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 the sake okay. list yeah. was unprecedented. So, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and the shoju's. I made a lot of shoju cocktails. Okay. Uh, funny side story, when I left Masa, I wrote a business plan about shoju cocktails, selling them in wholesale form to the 4,000 Japanese restaurants in New York City. Mm. And I got invited to Japan uh, to talk to the shoju producers, and I got yeah. invited to Tales of the Cocktail to talk about shoju cocktails, and, and I didn't do any of those things. You didn't do any of them? I did not. I did not. What held you back? Myself, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it just you weren't finding It was so, the... I mean, it was at a time when, I don't know, it just would have been, nobody I knew was doing anything like that. It was, yeah. it was, it was a good plan. Yeah. I just didn't put it into action. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. It's so one of those things you kick yourself for. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right, yeah. 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 yeah, so, but moving on, I, uh, I kept working fine dining. Yep. And, uh. Yeah, so I just kept on working fine dining restaurants. Mm -hmm. And then my children were born in 2010. I have okay. twin daughters. Yep. And for the first time in my life, I worked a 4 a.m. bar. I worked on Stone Street. <laughs> and uh, it was a brand new spot. And it had uh, 250 whiskeys. And they only served whiskey and wine. So it was like, oh, this is my place. Oh, yeah. I know these. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but... 
uh, I was making the same amount of money as I was paying my nanny. And I thought, well, why, why don't I just raise my kids and not work till four in the morning? That seems yeah. like a better plan. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, yeah. So I did that. That's what I did. I, uh, I became a stay-at-home dad. I did that for three and a half years. Mm. It's a great privilege, obviously, to mm-hmm. be able to watch your children in New York City instead of going out to work every day. But yeah. my wife's job is very demanding. Okay. So it helped the whole family, me being, she didn't have to f- scramble to find coverage. It was just, you know, she works very, very hard. So, yeah. And uh, I enjoyed it. I very much did. And then the uh, we moved to Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, 10 years ago. And the kids started pre-K mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. And when they did that, I opened the bar because okay. I suddenly had free time. Yeah. Was it opening the bar, being prepared for potential 4 a.m. days again? or, or No, we're a neighborhood yeah. bar. We, we've, okay. we've never been open until 4. Okay. Um, I mean, we used to be open until 2, but, you know, it's yeah. a neighborhood. It's not, okay. not that kind of bar. So, And I purposefully, if, for those who haven't been to Travel Bar, Travel Bar is a bit out of the way. It's down, yeah. it's on the south side of Carroll Gardens, and there is a couple different strips of bars in Carroll Gardens, but I'm not part of that. Okay. And that was on purpose. Yeah. I wanted to choose my clientele. I didn't want to just be the next bar in a row of bars, because mm-hmm. I wanted to control my clientele. And that's, it's not the first time I heard you call Travel Bar a neighborhood bar, which which I really like. For, for our listeners, can you, like... And I've got to apologize. Like I don't come. I don't come from this world. I've never worked in service. I've never worked in fine dining. I worked in sales and manufacturing, and then I got into whiskey and decided to start selling whiskey. So, like, I don't understand that terminology. Is 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 neighborhood bar just something that you're like? It's kind of like kind of like a pub, and we have a certain hour, and then we shut. It's more about, I don't, it's, for me, it's not the hours that makes it a local bar. The, the, the bulk of the clientele yeah. is people who live in the neighborhood or live, you know, I have a lot of people yeah. from Windsor Terrace and Park Slope yeah. who come once a week. But it's the fact that the regulars yeah. get to know each other. Oh, okay. So it becomes a community within the bar. Yeah. So we all know you. each other. Yeah. Um, and that's really special. Yeah. So, yeah. Everybody, it's like a cheers. Exactly. Yeah, okay. And I have been saying since the beginning, I keep my whiskey prices low because a lot of the regulars raised their whiskey knowledge with Travel Bar. Yeah. When they first yeah. started coming in, they were nothing against the brands, Maker's Mark or Bullet, or mm-hmm. they were more basic whiskey drinkers. Sure. And uh, they, they might have gotten to this point without me, mm-hmm. but, but now they drink much more you know, advanced whiskeys. So you opened it, what year are we now? So you opened it in 2014. Yeah, November. And people always say, why did, why did you open Thanksgiving weekend? I was like, well, that's when our liquor license arrived in the mail. And was it Thanksgiving you weekend? You don't waste a day. <laughs> yes, that's right. We opened the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, 2014. Which, uh, interesting, uh, we missed out on Pappy by like a month. Oh, wow. Because they, they came out at yeah. the beginning of November. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we opened at the end of November, and I never caught up. <laughs> Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> so, yeah, because I'm always, I'm always considered a new, uh, a new account. Yeah, and then by that time, come 2015, people finally figured out that Pappy was a thing. Yes. So getting access to it. 
yeah. was not so easy. Not so easy. I don't complain about whiskey I don't get. I think I have a really nice whiskey selection. Yeah. And I'm happy with the whiskey I do sell. Yes. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. So you opened in 2014, Thanksgiving weekend. What was, what was the business plan? What was the idea behind it? Uh, originally, my regulars are going to laugh. Originally, I had 12 wines by the glass. I had Kistler Chardonnay by the glass when we opened. Okay. But quickly I found out not really a wine neighborhood. Mm. I did have cocktails yeah. and I had whiskey, but the focus was going back to my wine days. Yeah. And over time the wine dwindled, 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 which just on a business plan, plans the plan, reality yeah, yeah, is reality. Yeah, yeah. We certainly were not what would you would consider a whiskey bar when we opened. Mm-hmm. It was always meant to be a local bar. Mm. Uh, the vision for the bar for me was always a fine dining bar without the restaurant attached. So the feel, the okay. look, the style of service yeah. um, was all that style. Yep. But in a neighborhood setting. Okay. So my business partner, Joe Swigart, and I, we, before we opened, we sat down and uh, somebody we read somewhere or someone told us to do this exercise where you write down three words that you want to describe the business that you own. Hmm. And we both had comfortable without seeing each other's list. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, that was a big, that's very cool. So yeah. And Bill, uh, Bill McCoy has been with me since day one. Bill and I worked at uh, Avoce together mm-hmm. and uh, he was the first person I hired and nine years later, he's still here, which is great. Wow. I love Bill. Yeah. Uh, and he knows the whiskey wall as well as I do, and yep. he recommends different things than I do, and I love that. That's huh. how it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, but he comes from that same background I do, so mm-hmm. it's service. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's amazing to me when I say to somebody, how's your cocktail, and they're startled. What? I'm asking you how the drink is I made for you. <laughs> oh, it's, it's good. Thanks. You know, that's, that's yeah. the level we're yeah. at. So, yeah. you know, and, uh, we try to remember what you've, because it is a wall of whiskey. We try to, we do a good job here of remembering what you had the last time and what you liked and what you didn't like mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where we want to go next time. Or often at the end of the night, I'll say to you, next time you come in, start with this one because you can't have it now. It's too delicate. Yeah. You've already had Isla. So let's, next time you come in, start with this one. Yeah. And then they'll come back and they go, you wanted me to start with something when I was here. And I, oh, oh, yeah. That's uh, great. Yeah, that's, yeah. So. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you, you would, as you're explaining the story to me, I'm thinking, well, that seems like the obvious question. You've made a drink for someone. They're drinking it. You're curious to know if they're enjoying it or not. But then I got to thinking of the number of times I'm asked, how's the drink? And I can't think of the n- I'm not sure I can count that. Right. Because it doesn't really happen. You're saying really I should happen. stop doing that? No. Like, <laughs> like seriously, you don't need to be. No, but it's, it shows you're actually interested in yeah, your customers. Definitely. You give a shit about the people that are coming in and opening their wallets right. at your location. Exactly. That's very cool. So, okay. So, 2014, you, you open up. You've got 12 wines by the glass. That starts to, to dwindle. Yes. How many bottles of whiskey do you have on your shelf just now? Right now, 480. Okay. So how long did it take you to get to 480? And what was that journey like? 
I mean, it's constantly evolving, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah, sure. And we're, we're the type of bar that doesn't fit the model of a bar, which is more difficult for me <laughs> as a buyer. I don't okay. fit the mold of what every salesperson wants. What does that mean? I, in my opinion, I'm the bar that every brand wants, but okay. I'm not the bar that every salesperson wants because I buy single bottles of things yeah, yeah, yeah. and I deal with a lot of smaller distributors. Mm-hmm. And so they're breaking up cases versus selling a whole case to a liquor store or a bigger bar with a different program. Yeah. But I often buy just single bottles of things. Okay. Except for if it's in the well. Um, I have a really nice well, by the way. But so I, I don't, and I also have 35 cocktails on the menu that don't repeat their ingredients very often. Okay. So those things I will buy six packs of. Gotcha. Gotcha. But gotcha. a lot of the individual whiskeys I just buy single bottles of, and so, okay. uh, and so that's why the list is constantly changing. Because when I sell out of it, I, you know, it might not bring that bottle back. I mm-hmm. might bring in another one from the same category. Or, yeah. You know, and when I taste with liquor reps, I can like a whiskey a lot. Yeah. But uh, I'll say, well, right now I have so many sherried whiskeys on the wall. Yeah. I'll remember this. And when one of those goes, I'll bring this in. Okay. Or more often than not, it's a one-time deal. I'm offering you this today. If you don't take it, it's gone. Mm. And so then, then I will repeat and I'll, you know, put it in the basement or put it okay. up there, but you know, make it a... Um, I have a very unique way of running a bar, not only in how many cocktails I have and how many whiskeys I have, but also my mindset has always been, if I can think of six regulars who will mm. buy an ounce, I buy the bottle. And oh wow! That okay. is how the whiskey wall grew. Yeah, because I have a dedicated regular base. Yep, and I know their flavor profiles because I talk to them. Yes, yep. and I know who would be interested in these whiskeys, and and mm. that has helped me grow the independent bottle route. Yes, because I'm hand selling it anyway. Yep, it's not a brand you've ever heard of, and it is a. I don't take it for granted when people say to me, "If you think it's worth it, I'll buy it." Wow. Yeah. So. Do you find, have you found people shying away from independent bottlers or just being a bit more apprehensive and it becomes a tougher sell? Or have you educated your regulars to a point where they're simply more comfortable? I think the, uh, I think it's, that's a complicated question. I think there's some brands that put out so many bottles. And if you are... If you're, if you're going to the store and paying $110 for a barrel craft spirits, yeah. let's say batch 24, yeah. and then you, it's not your thing, mm-hmm. you're gun shy to walk into that store and buy another one. Sure. But you have to realize every batch they make is completely different. Yeah. But, you're, but it's hard for you to do that. So that's where Travel Bar, I sell so many barrels. And I yeah. tell people, come here and taste it for $12 an ounce. Yep. And then, then you'll go and seek out that bottle now or, or retrust that brand again. Yeah, yeah. And which is yeah. a big thing. Yes. And so that happens a lot. And then, of course, there's, single, there's lots of independent bottlers they've never heard of. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and I have to trust the independent bottler. I trust Single Cast Nation. Thank you. I, I trust Dave Schmier. Yeah. You know, like there's people I trust and I don't need to taste your product. I don't even have the ability to taste your product in most cases. Yeah. yeah. I buy them blind yeah. because I trust the independent bottler. Yeah. 
there's lots of independent bottlers I'm interested in, but I don't sell their stuff because there's never a way for me to taste them beforehand. Mm -hmm. And it's a deep dive to go into blind because I and then what if I don't like it? I'm not going to yeah. lie to my customers and say, this is great. You're almost like that, that gun shy consumer who's exactly who, who needs, who needs someone. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I am lucky that people do bring me whiskey, not just, not just salespeople, but often mm -hmm. more often than not regulars mm -hmm. because they get my excitement. And when they taste yeah. something in their personal life, yeah. they bring me samples, <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, you know, yeah. a fun yep. thing, right? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's part of the community. I, I like that part of the business. That's awesome. And I, uh, of course I want to promote my friends and their businesses because I believe in them and they make good whiskey. Yeah. And they're unknown. Well, thank you. Your, your support of single cast nation is, is phenomenal. We're, we're, we're always in the, the right hand corner. Right next to a mug that says probably whiskey. I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, for a while, Jason and I would speak to shop owners, we'd speak to bartenders, and we would ask about the challenges of COVID. I don't want to ask about the challenges of COVID. We all understand what the challenges of COVID were. What was the challenge, challenges you faced coming out of COVID? And what challenges are you, if, are you seeing any still that are related to three years of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's a funny thing for me to tell you, but prior to COVID, we used to sell 14 cases of rosé every summer. Wow, okay. It was, you know, again, it's we're in a bar, rosé yeah. all day. We've yeah. got the outdoor area. People love to drink rosé. Yeah. So I placed an order the first summer after COVID. Yep. And I think we sold two cases. People were not drinking rosé anymore. When they were able to drink, they were putting their hammer down and drinking whiskey. Wow. So that was okay. a nice shift that way. Okay. But the overall flow of traffic has always been a trickle since yeah. COVID. Pre-COVID, we were open six days a week. Sure. Now we're open just Wednesday through Saturday. And is and that... That's based on the demand in the neighborhood for me to be open. Wow. So it's people, again, going back to my community of regulars, they realize I'm open Wednesday and Saturday and condense their visits to that time. Yeah. And occasionally they'll say, oh, I, you know, I wanted to come and have a beer on Monday, but you weren't yeah. here. And I'm like, well, if you could bring a thousand friends, that'd be great. But um, so huh. I am open on those days for private events. Yep. Because then I know I have cash flow for being open. But it's just not. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't explain it why. So in some ways it's good. In some ways it's real bad. Yeah, sure. Um, but, uh, also during COVID, you know, this more than anybody, a lot of whiskey clubs popped up. Yes, they did. Yeah. And they are not so great for a whiskey bar because hmm. instead of going to a bar and exploring one ounce at a time, oh. you're going to Tom's house and everybody yeah. bringing a bottle and you yeah. drink in his living room. And that is very prominent yeah. now. And or that is sample bad packs. for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Because, um, huh. so, in a way, that has driven me to buy more big name whiskey to draw people in. Oh, I think it's unconscious. I don't think I've even thought about it to yeah. this moment. But now I'm chasing 
Russell's 13 or, yeah, sure. or, 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 you know, I, you know, there's things I still believe in, but I have to chase that big bottle to draw people in. Oh, wow. Where before you, you didn't feel you needed to, you had, you were able to curate your wall. Exactly. You were more days. It's open. even, it's even more than just their thoughts on, it's also post COVID. I get this all the time, especially from bourbon people where they'll, they'll order something and, you know, and I go, how do you like it? They'll say, oh, I've got a bottle of this at home. Mm. I'm trying to decide if I should flip it or open it. Yeah. I hear that constantly. Yeah. And that never happened pre-COVID. So wow. the, the, the people who got into whiskey during COVID view it differently than the people I had here as regulars pre-COVID. And I'm generalizing, of course. Yeah. But, and then on the flip side of that, a lot of people really got into whiskey during COVID, and that benefits me. Yeah. So, uh, as you know, I pride myself on my pricing. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of people come here for that reason. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. had three people who came in yesterday right at 4 o'clock, and they had made a list. They'd gone mm -hmm. through my whiskey mm -hmm. list and made a list of what they wanted to drink. Wow. Um, do you mind if I ask David a, a question no. that's relevant to... I don't mind at all. So j just because you... Hello again. You, hello again. He, <laughs> you might remember David from such episodes as the one before this one. To what Mike was saying just now, because you're someone who travels the world, what Mike is explaining where, where they're truncating the number of days that they're open, is that something you're seeing in other countries and in, in other markets? Is, is Mike's story different? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh, interesting. Echoes across the pond. Yeah. Um, yeah. For for sure. Yeah. We've seen a lot of um, a lot of bars. Yeah. Um, shutting down for for most of the week. Op only opening on certain days, or, um, or yeah, not for not for so many hours as, as well. So yeah, it's uh, absolutely something we've seen in in the UK as yeah. as well. Um, even even big name bars or, or um, really sought after places. I'm, I'm, mm. Some places in, in Scotland that I know okay. are like really famous destination whiskey bars. Yeah, um, have had to to yeah sort of scrunch down their their hours and, and days of working. Wow. Okay. So so then from that perspective, I'm now going to ask a question of Mike. Does does that in any way bring you comfort? <laughs> yeah, I guess it does because I, I haven't really, uh, that does bring me comfort actually, yeah. yeah. And of course, a lot of it in the very beginning of coming out of COVID was staffing. Yeah. And uh, I think originally we kept it to a lower amount of days because there was just two of us that work here. Yeah. But now that I, I am not open on those days, you know, it's it's... Yeah, and I do try to book private events. Mm -hmm. If anyone okay. out there wants a private party, <laughs> Mike at TravelBarBrooklyn.com. Uh, yeah, and we do a lot of, uh, obviously, as you know, a lot of brands come through. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I provide a whiskey customer that has good questions and a good understanding of whiskey. Yes. So when the whiskey brands come in, they're... They have a quality audience who wants to learn about the For product. Sure. They don't have to talk about it's 51% corn. You can skip all that <laughs> and get right into the meat of yeah. your particular whiskey. Yeah. So, um, and I enjoy that. I enjoy learning. Yeah. So I really enjoy having whiskey 
distillers, brand ambassadors, mm-hmm. every somebody who knows more than I do. I want to hear them talk. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you do you find that people at post COVID are are on a, a different journey, whiskey wise? Yes. Okay. And it's a glorious thing. Okay. Talk to us about that. Uh, I pro- probably the question I get asked the most is, "What whiskey do you like?" And I, you oh, know okay. me, I'm I'm a Scotch guy. Yeah, yeah. So and the look of shock on people's faces because I sell 180 bourbons, they just assume. Yeah. Obviously, I like bourbon. Bourbon guy first. Yeah. yeah. But I am yeah. a Scotch guy first, yeah. and with the pricing structure of a lot of bourbon now, Scotch is a good value. <laughs> you know, yeah, I started bartending right? in 1988. Yeah. It's another interesting point I think about a lot. In, in 1988, when I was a bartender in a fine dining restaurant, mm. scotch was not even in the conversation if you had money to spend. It was cognac, it was Calvados, and it was fine wine. Not even in the conversation. I guess, so in my yeah. birth of my 30-plus career, yeah. to have a wall of all these single malts yeah. in a bar in Brooklyn... That's pretty amazing. That's kind of wild. You know, in, in 88, huh. Diageo would have the, the if you could remember, the little uh, ledge platform thing that had the brass rail in the front. Oh, yeah. And it had the collector the, series. Yes, and it, you know, the, they, the they, classic malts. The classic yeah, malts, classic thank malts. you. I couldn't yeah, think of the name yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah, and so that's, you know, and of course, every bar in America sold Glenfiddich and Glenlivet. Yeah, yeah. And those were in a lot of blends. And I like blended whiskey a lot. So I, I you know. Uh, but that was what scotch was. Mm, mm-hmm. And then when scotch became a marker for, how would I say it nicely, I don't know, status or, yeah. 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 So yeah. they became more popular. And, um, and it's the biggest misconception with scotch in America by far is I don't like peated whiskey. Exactly. And I tell everybody, <laughs> if you started at noon, you'd get to 930 before you had a peated whiskey. And I love that. They yeah. just say, oh, no, I don't like Pete. I'm like, well, you know, okay, great. Let's talk yes. about the other three courses, the 75% of the whiskeys that you can drink. It's amazing the number of people. And, and David, you, you had this the other day. We were doing an event. And uh, the number of people who will drink a single malt. And they're like, oh, I really like the peatiness on this. Like, I don't know where where you're getting the peat, but yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah, there's like zero zero peat in there at all. I had to come up with some kind of explanation of why they could be correct. Yeah, and you're but. like, maybe it's the extra char in the barrel, like you. And I, but it's that it's that perception of, of people yes. who they just associate single malt whiskey with with peat, a certain flavor that that yeah. to them yeah, yeah. comes across as smokiness for some yeah. reason. So. So, David, I know what you and I do when we run into that. Mike, what do you do when when someone says, "Hey, why don't you why don't you give me a single malt uh, that you like, and it's a non-peated one?" Because, like you said, you know most single malts, Scotch single malts, are non-peated, and they say, "I like the peat." How do you navigate that conversation diplomatically? <laughs> <laughs> diplomatically, I mean, uh, or not diplomatically. Well, at all. I mean, like, no matter no matter what whiskey yeah. you ask for when you walk in the door, they'll say, "Choose me a bourbon," or "Choose me anything," and I'll say, "Well, give me a brand you like." So I have, oh, okay. I don't know you. So yeah, let's, you know, you coming off the okay. street, I don't know you. Uh, they say I want to try a scotch. I don't like peat. 
I go, well, give me some scotches you have tried. And more often than not, it is Glen Levitt or Glen Fettick or, yeah. you know, uh, um, what's the big one that starts with an M? McAllen. <laughs> People drink McAllen? I thought they just collected the bottles and uh, posted them. I, I do have a bottle of the Fine Oak 15, which I enjoy very much. That's actually That's a, a decent really, whiskey. Really, it, I enjoy that one. Far, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I just tell people, again, I always tell them the story about uh, uh, the peatiness and where it comes from and, you know, how it's, it, yeah. I mean, I kind of say it's not peated because it's not part of the production. So it's not, yeah. you know. But uh, the big one for me is proof and finish. Yeah. When I'm going to talk to somebody who's never drank scotch here, I want to know what proof you're comfortable with. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a proof whore. I like high proof whiskey. Yeah. I can add water to it. I could prove it down to what I want to drink it at yeah. or what it needs to be drank at in my mind. But, and then also, and I, I'm not hung up on regions. I'm not, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm with Robin Robinson. It's a marketing tool. Yeah, it, it's, there it's you, go. Not, you know, yeah. it's, if you, <laughs> uh, it's so I, you know, and I often, to that end, when people say, I only like Isla, my favorite thing to do is to pour them a Highland that's peated. Yeah. And without telling them, and they'll go, oh, that's awesome. That's, you know, that's what I want. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's from the Highlands. Yeah. yeah. So, but, or that's from, you know, Denmark. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but yeah, going back to the original question, it's, I mean, it's hard nowadays, as you know, to find a scotch that isn't finished in something. Yeah. Let's talk about the eight-year-old Milton Duff. Which is also one of my favorite bottlings of yours. Which oh, was the nine, ex, nine year. Nine year, yeah. Nine year. The, the ex yes. bourbon exclusive. Yes. Which I always used as a comparison. Like, this is the core. This is, yeah, what, this exactly. is what scotch is yeah, in, its, yeah. in its infancy. This is what it tastes yep. like. Yep. By law, ex bourbon, this is it. Yeah. And then this is what it's become. This is, you know. I, and, and I like the whole range, but not many people who are new to scotch today have tasted a non-sherried scotch. Yeah, it's and it's and it's funny finishing has become such a thing that you could pour someone a there you go, Westport 16-year-old single yeah. cast nation and let's say I really like the sherry finish on this and you have to explain to people that sometimes that whiskey is in the sherry cask its entire life and is not a finish. And then you've explained that to them. And then they say, but the finish on it is really great. Right, yeah. Like, no, it's, 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 it's interesting how people get stuck on nomenclature. They assume malt whiskey is going to be peated, and they assume if it's, if it's not in a bourbon cask then it is therefore finished. Right. Which is that constant education I think, piece. I think uh, in general, people are nervous. I guess this goes back to my wine days. People are nervous about pronunciation and also oh, okay. about uh, how they describe something. Yeah. So whenever I ran a wine list, Fair. every bottle had a number beside it. I never wanted a customer to have to feel foolish yeah. on how to pronounce the wine they want to order for the yeah. table. You know, I'll take number 58. Yeah, Everyone exactly. can say that. Yes. So with the with whiskey, there's a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. I butcher them. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. <laughs> I don't know how to... I can't say the letter H. All right. Yes. You just said the letter H, but I way. did, yes. But okay. I can't say the word that's spelled H-U-G-E. <laughs> I can't say that word. H. 
It's a oh. Do you say huge? I don't know. I'm, I'm not gonna do oh, it. So. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's luge. Luge. Yeah. yeah exactly. A cool whip. whip. Um, but uh, so you know, people pronounce things wrong, and people yeah. uh, you know. But then they're also looking for what they're tasting. When I serve a whiskey, it's very, very, very rare where before you take the first sip, mm. I'm going to tell you what you're going to taste. Because it's like okay. reading a tour guide yeah. for a country you've never been to. Yeah, I want yeah, you yeah. to come up with your own, how, what, what you taste. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say, oh, I love this. It's peaches and cream. Because then you're immediately going to taste peaches and cream. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'll talk to you after you taste it and yeah. what you're getting and what I get out of it. But at the same time, I'll never tell you ahead of time you know, unless you say to me, I want something yeah. dry smoke, you know, unless yeah. you're so specific yeah. uh, on what you're looking for, then we'll talk about it. But in general, it's an experience. You know, the ounces here range from $4 to $100. And in the big scheme of things, just take a deep dive into one of those things yeah. and learn about it yourself yeah. and discover what yeah. you like. And, and if it's on the wall, I think it deserves to be there. Yeah. So to that point, I'm, I'm looking at your shelves and I see a lot of American single malt, which is something that, that both Jason and I um, are, are madly in love with. We've been bottling Westland since 2013 or, or something like that. You know, early on we said, okay, there's a bit of magic going on there. And, and now American single malt has become a much bigger thing but it's rare that you see the number of American single malts that I see on your shelves right now. What's that like? As, an, as someone who educates their customer, is that pushing water uphill? Are your customers demanding it? What's all that looking like for you? I have been a big proponent of American single malt since the category, you know, since I opened the bar. Yeah. And, uh, and I always compare it to opening a Bordeaux red wine yep. where you're going to order it. You're going to, you're going to open it before you have cocktails and you're going to enjoy it an hour and a half later with your meal. Yeah. So for me, I don't want to just buy American single malt when they're, when they're at their peak. I want to know the journey. It's a pretty small investment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. certainly less than a thousand dollars for me to have this growth of knowledge. I'm going to follow yeah. the category from the yeah. beginning and I'll be honest, some of them were horrible. Some of the, and, and then some of the ones that were horrible in the beginning, I, I keep buying them. And I watch their progress, and I love it. Oh, nice. And those are yeah. fun things to talk yeah. about. Yep. You know, I'm pretty honest. I had a sales rep the other day, and, and I was brutally honest about his whiskey <laughs> in the beginning. But now I love their whiskey. Okay. And so there's a progression that, oh, you know. Wow. Uh, and so uh, there are brands that I'm in love with. And, you know, it's a people business. I love the people, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and I also love that the category is going to grow because now the big distilleries are making them and they're, yeah. they're, they're that's going to, people are going to reflect back to the smaller distilleries yep. and go, well, look, you know, West Westward and Westland have been making these for, you know, going on 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. I love the people behind these brands. Yep. Uh, I'm a big, uh, I'd say here at the bar, uh, my top four American single malts that actually I sell would be uh, Brooklyn 77, which is made here in Brooklyn. 
Okay. Uh, Brooklyn 77 is interesting. Uh, Brad does, he's a one man show. He's uh, him and his buddy George work there and, and they, he makes the whiskey and uh, George is the guy who runs around and does everything else. And, uh, mm. and they don't have a tasting room, so nobody knows them. I mean, they, they they've wow. got really good connections with Brooklyn retail shops. Okay. And I sell a lot of their whiskey and they make fantastic American single malt. Interesting. Okay. Um, so I, I like to hand, I like to hand sell them. They're great. Okay. Good whiskey. Uh, they do a range of proofs that I like. They have, uh, uh, they do a bottled and bond at hundred proof. They do uh, 90 proof. They do 130 proof, mm-hmm. 110 proof. Mm-hmm. They've got an eight year old weeder. I mean, it's just a, they're hitting all the marks of what the wow. consumer wants today. Yeah. Which I love. Uh, and then uh, West Word, you know, Christian. I met Christian many years ago, and yeah. he's a fantastic yeah. guy. And, you know, we keep in touch outside of the bar, which I love. And what they're doing with all their finishes, you know, because, again, going back to once I tasted their single malt and I mm-hmm. liked it, mm-hmm. then I f- allow myself to go do all the finishes. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I like to taste the beginning, and then now I know that I trust their beginning, and then now I want to taste the finishes. Yep. Um, sure. So, and then nobody's doing more experimentation than Westland. Westland is, yeah. you know, they're, they're working on so many different barley stocks and that's important to them. And that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, for those who don't know, I lived in Portland, Oregon for 11 years. So anything Pacific Northwest, I'm going to lean towards. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So, um, neither distillery was open when I lived there, but, uh, the connection's still there. Uh, I like Boulder a lot. Um, I don't think I've had Vapor Boulder Distilling before. is okay. the name of the distillery. Vapor Distilling. Vapor Distilling, and uh, okay. they're out of Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Um, Are like they the ones with the? I mean, you've got bottles there that almost look like Stranahan's bottles with the little. Those are, that's Stranahan's, yeah. That is Stranahan, okay. That's Stranahan's, yeah. Stranahan's Mountain Angel Batch 2. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I could talk about this, but let's talk about it. There you go. They, it went, mistakenly, it went into open inventory through the distributor, (gasps) and I bought four three-packs. Whoa. When 600 bottles were produced for the world. Whoa. Exactly. Yeah, so where else can you taste it? Here. (laughs) This is it. So that's the (sighs) 10-year-old American single malt made at, you know, a mile high. Wow. Uh, it's fantastic. I know um, a dram I'm buying later. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Stranahan's, uh, Boulder. Um, yeah. You know, then we have like Lost Lantern, which is another new independent bottle. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, I love those guys. Yeah. So, it's, and even, yeah. So, it's definitely, it, it's, it's pushing water uphill. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Very few people come in and say, What's the latest American single malt you have? But I have enough repeat customers that uh, yeah. that know and will recognize when I have a new bottle. You know. Yep. Sometimes I just flip the bottles because uh, I'm staring at the whiskey wall right now. It's three deep every shelf. Yeah. Sometimes for Sometimes a, for a hoot, I'll just thoughts. flip the back to the front, and people go, "Oh, you've got a new." <laughs> so yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I wasn't kidding when I said American single malt is something that Jason and I have fallen in love with. Last year, Westward did a single Pinot Noir cask for um, a West Coast shop. It, it was through a club. Yeah. And, we can um, mention his name. We both love him. Uh, Fernando. Yes. I love and, Fernando. Shout uh, out. 
uh, lovely guy. And I don't remember if I, I think I may have just bought it on a whim. Is it the best whiskey I tasted that year? Maybe not. Because I've tasted a fuck ton of really you do, yes. good whiskeys. I want to live in your world. But, but what was so magical about it is it was doing something none of those other whiskeys were doing. And if, if there's a reason I got into whiskeys, it was to discover new flavors. Yeah. And when you can say, holy crap, this is new. I want to highlight this. This is, this is the best thing I've tasted because it opened my eyes to something new. So Westward did that to me last year, the year before that. Westland did that for me. And yeah, I, I can't stop shouting about them from the rooftops. And I'm glad that you do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and you, I was on a whiskey Zoom with you. Um, and I got to taste a new distillery out of Washington State that I'd never had. And I was blown away. Okay. That little three-quarter ounce sample I uh -huh. just tasted, I was like, it couldn't last long enough. It was great. <laughs> Uh, and remind me of the name of it. Copperworks, right? Copperworks, yeah. yeah. I'd never, yeah. not only had I never tasted it, I'd never yeah. heard of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, as a bar owner, I kind of walk with blinders on. I don't know a lot of new products. I don't oh, know because unless you bring it to me or a customer introduces me to it, I don't, uh, I just focus so on what I- you're not seeking it out. You're not I don't seek out. Yeah, no. gotcha. No, okay. I, just, I have too much to memorize as it is to, yep. to go yep. seek out new things yep you know if it crosses in front of me and i like it you know yeah um and i like deep dives like i have 35 american single malts you know that's Amazing. That's, that's a deep dive yeah. that's you know <laughs> you could come uh, every day in a month you know and yeah. not taste all of them so that's amazing so, that is a statement yeah wow okay man yeah do you have a do you have a, f a favorite bottle on your shelf right now I'm sure that changes. It changes. It changes a lot. Um, or maybe, I, maybe one you're most proud of well, to have. Well, you know, it's, I'll tell you this. It's hidden on the third row. That's for damn sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I will... This sounds horrible, but if I if I if I'm if I'm having a good rapport with somebody, I yeah. don't have to know you. But yeah. if if you're getting it, <clears throat> if yeah. you're if you're in the range of what this bottle tastes like, and you're yeah. getting it, and yeah. you're exploring, yep. I will pull down the Impex 13-year-old Ardmore at cast strength. Oh, yeah. And the 13-year-old Sweet Dram, 13 years old cast strength, okay. finished in Isla. Oh, nice. And I'll say one of these two is my favorite bottles on the bar right now. And I, I don't tell them which one. Yeah. And then they say, oh, this one's your favorite for sure. You know, but uh, they are both highly enjoyable. I'll yeah. say that. Okay. But uh, yeah, okay. uh, I don't like what the cask finish on the Isla does to the Ardmore. I think it buries the beautiful uh, mm. grain that I like to taste. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. they're both fantastic. Yeah, gotcha. And it, that led me to when I have to advance order Caden heads. I can't just buy them. Yeah. I have yeah. to advance order them. And so I advanced ordered two bottles of the Caden head uh, Ardmore. Th uh, it's 11 year old and okay. it's a lower proof, it's 92 proof. And as you can see, it's half oh, gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. It is. <laughs> yes. Uh, as, as David <laughs> says, it is A-OK. -okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know you know me. I love... Uh, you and I first bonded, I think, over the Deanston PX. Yep. 10-year-old PX. 10-year-old PX. And I tasted yeah. that whiskey, 
And I said to my business partner, I'm buying one for myself. Yeah. Do you want one as well? Yeah. And he said, no. Okay. So I bought a six pack and I sold it at the bar and I took a bottle home and it's forever one of my yeah. great finds Remarkable. and I loved it. Yeah. And when he tasted, he said, next time, don't ask me, just do what just you do think. It. Just yeah. do it. So, and that bottle is long gone. And, and I had a love for Deanston for a long time. And now Deanston has changed. What they put out has changed. The price point has changed. Oh, the distributor changed. And all of those things has led me to not seek Deanston as much. Oh, and wow. That's, it's, it hurts me to my core. Oh, yeah, because you know, that's your... That's my jam. That's your jam. That's yeah. your distillery. So... Yeah. But... Uh, huh. C'est la vie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I still drink it in my personal life, but mm -hmm. I don't push it at the bar. Yep. Interesting. So. There you go. So, yeah. I appreciate your honesty there. No, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But that's a whole other conversation of how distributors work and how much care they're going to show to Deanston or unknown yeah. brand and you know and if it's going to be in bars or it's just going to be served mm. at retail stores and you know so yeah but uh yeah if i have a love of something if it doesn't work anymore it doesn't work anymore yeah i can't you know and there's always more to be shouting exactly about. Yeah, that's yeah. right yes that's right so Absolutely. with that in mind with with you know shouting about new things and changing this up because you're right this this bar always changes or, or these shelves always right change whether you've empty bottles or you're pulling them from the back and bringing them right, to exactly. the front like, like i put yeah. i put the uh uh for those who don't know i am an avid rum collector i have mm. oh i didn't know that yeah i i oh, always shit. say i have the best sipping rum collection in brooklyn okay i mean i like jamaican rums I like uh, guyana i like uh um, yeah, obviously Barbados. Mm. And what I like to collect or sell, collect is the wrong word, what I like to purchase is single casks yeah. of barrel-strength rum okay. from independent bottlers. Oh, dude. dude. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is why I have a 23-year-old Long Pond. Yeah. And a 21-year-old Money Musk. Yeah. Oh, and a 9-year-old okay. Money Musk. Yeah. And, you know, so all of these... Uh, and that's an education process for sure. But that started because on my first anniversary party, we did, we did $10 ounces of 21-year-old whiskey. Oh. Wow. And, okay. And it, in, in that mix was yeah. Eldorado 21. Okay. Because obviously not a whiskey, I know yeah. that, but it was another 21-year-old sure. I could purchase yeah, at yeah. the time yeah. in 2015. Uh, and so... It was most people's top three. It was in most people's top three. Yeah, because it's, it's yeah. the Eldorado bottlings are fantastic. I opened the bar yeah. with only Eldorado as my wow. rum. I had okay. the 12-year-old okay. in a cocktail. Yeah. I had the, uh, the, the white in another cocktail. And, and then I sold, sold the 21. Um, so rum is a passion of mine. And I bring this up because I moved them from the back to be on the front wall. Okay. There's like a cubby hole at Travel Bar okay. where yeah. the kegerator sits. And that is, you know, it, you know, I've I've moved. You're gonna cry, but I moved my world whiskey back there. All right. So I'm my world whiskey's back there to move the rum up to the front. Oh wow! So it does shift sometimes. Okay, so that so there you go. It's like it's this ever evolving thing. So as you're seeing things evolve and travel bar, you know, God willing, growing, and maybe adding on a. Another day of 
of being open or two or three. Now hiring travel bar. (laughs) Um, What's got you excited for the future? I want to, and this is supported by my wife, which bless her. I want to travel to more whiskey making countries. Okay. That is my agenda for the next couple yeah, of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I wanted, you know, I, I rode my bike across Europe in 95. Mm-hmm. So I visited distilleries on mm. that trip. But I want to go back as a whiskey professional. Yeah. And not just tour the distilleries, because as you know, mm-hmm. distillery, distillery, I mean, yeah. there's differences, as we know. There's but differences, yes. but, but yes. you, know, you know, I'm not flying there yeah. to do that. I want to fly and see the village. Yeah. I want to talk to the people who live in the village. And if I go to, if if I go to Rasse and, you know, 160 people live there and 30 of them work for the distillery, you know, I I, I want to meet those people. Yeah, sure. I want to stay in the countryside. I want to bike around the the island. I want to kind of get a feel for what's happening in these places more, you know, and also meet more people. I meet a lot of people here, but Mm. as far as industry people, but I want to go to them. That's, that's my goal in the next couple of years. That's awesome. So, well, I want people to come here. Yes. So 520 Court Street. 520 Court Street, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. There you go. All of my prices are listed on my website, www.travelbarbrooklyn, Brooklyn spelled out, .com. There you go. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's evolving. There's, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy making cocktails. We didn't talk about cocktails we at all. We didn't talk about cocktails. Yeah. Shit. All right. Give give me give me your the the cocktail you're most proud of, and and we'll end it there. If someone comes here and they love cocktails and they want to experience new flavors, what's the cocktail you're pouring for them? The Nash. The Nash. What's in a Nash? Well, first I have to tell you the story of the Nash. There's no quick stories. So uh, my friend Chris and Amanda had their civil three union. Three hours my, later. Three hours later. It was a short story. Uh, uh, my friends Chris and Amanda had their civil union here and uh, at the bar, and then they had their baby shower here. Okay. And then they had their child's first birthday here. And for that first birthday party... I invented a cocktail. Okay. And the child's name is National Steel, which is a type of guitar. Yeah. So I made a cocktail called the Nash. Yeah. And I uh, served it on a big ice cube. And inside the big ice cube was shitty candy, thereby forcing (laughs) you to drink the cocktail fast or else it started tasting like shitty candy. Oh, my God. (laughs) As kind of a funny joke for having their kid's birthday party at a bar, which I love them, their family. Oh, but, my gosh. So then it was off the menu for a long time. Yeah. But enough people were at the party and knew me from the yeah. neighborhood. They were like, can I have the Nash? Can I have the Nash? So I brought it back on, but I brought it back on as a barrel-age cocktail. Okay. So it is in a Kings County yep. ex-bourbon barrel. Okay. Uh, it is uh, Alberta Premium Rye. Yep. Cast Strength, okay. which won Whiskey of the Year a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. It's with Maletti Amaro. Okay. It's aged in a it's barrel a f- yeah. for 90 days. Okay. I drain it out, take out the bits of char, huh. and add dandelion and burdock bitters. Whoa, okay. And I don't uh, water them down. So 
if I don't know you, when I serve the cocktail to you, I'm going to stir it over small cubes first and then pour it over a big cube oh, to dilute it a little gotcha, bit. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But uh, it is uh, a fantastic awesome. cocktail. It okay. really is. It's called the Nash. The Nash. The Nash. So. Will we be able to get one later? Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, fucking you could brilliant. get 15 gallons of fucking it. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, I'm going to, we're going to order Nashes, you and me, Dave. Um, we'll get pictures up and I'm going to include that in with the masthead uh, and in the post here. So that that's awesome. Wait, this is going public? What? Wait, what? <laughs> uh, Mike, in all seriousness, thank you for your support of Single Cast Nation. Of all things, Impex, all the brands that, that Impex brings in, um, what you're doing is obviously from the heart because you give a shit, and, um, and it's obvious, but it also means a lot. So, so I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing in great whiskey and doing what you do. Cheers, man. Cheers. That was time very well spent listening to, to the lot of you having a chitty chatty and, you know, to go back to the lead in that you made there, kicking off with discussion of the SCN canvas. That <laughs> is a special memory right there. Uh-huh. So uh, thanks for kicking it off there. One of the takeaways for me in, in listening through that with you was he puts me in mind of Christopher Grombeck. You okay. led in by saying, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an incomplete Joshua Hatton list. Here. And the <laughs> name you left off was, was Christopher Grombeck. There you go. <laughs> and, and, so, and so listening there, talking about being in a neighborhood, knowing your clientele, bringing wine to people and saying, look, <laughs> look let, let's present this. Let's learn mm-hmm. about this. Let's mm-hmm. have this as an opportunity that was Grombeck. Grombeck was wines and teas and chocolates and then just happened to be right at the time when whiskey exploded. Yeah, yeah. And and to see somebody else with a, a, a local neighborhood bar pivot from wine to whiskey. Mm-hmm. And, and Grombeck still had his, his wines right up until selling. Uh, he still had his wines, but whiskey yeah. was really... Paying the bills. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So so to have two two coasts, to have Fremont and Seattle, to have Brooklyn and New York, West Coast, East Coast, and yet to have this somewhat similar origin story was very cool. Thoroughly enjoyed uh, hearing that aspect. Mm. Uh, and if we're going to talk origins, the name, Travel Bar, <laughs> which I've obviously, it's always been Mike of Travel Bar. And, and to hear that Travel Bar means something. Was <laughs> yes. was very cool. <laughs> it's it's funny, you know. Uh, you look at the logo, and it's the words "travel bar" uh, emblazoned on like a suitcase, like on a case. Mm. And mm. I never, I never inquired further. This is my first time even <laughs> asking about it, and and I really felt stupid asking about it. You know, like you said in in the at the beginning of it. And I said, what is that thing? It says travel bar. And he says, it's the fucking name of my bar. <laughs> like, no, no, no. What's an actual travel bar? And it was good to like know what it was. You didn't know about it. I didn't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it is it is tough to hear uh, from from somebody else here though who's who's saying that they haven't really fully rebounded from yeah. COVID. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from from a COVID downturn mm-hmm. and not yet being back to seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's tough. Did you have any takeaways on that? You know, you know, we started today's episode talking about what you saw in Chicago, what you saw in Minneapolis. What did you see in Brooklyn? You were the one at Travel Bar. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about Travel Bar is every time I'm there, he he he's packing the place. You know, people are coming in. You know, if he's if he's not open. Sunday through Tuesday or, or, or whatever it is. You know, I guess I didn't ask him what those days looked like prior to COVID. You know, maybe they were always slower. And now the, the slowness sort of increased to the point mm. where he said, eh, let, let's not do it. You know, the fact of the matter is, whether you're a neighborhood bar or or some or a more destination place like in a, a major city or something like that, everybody's feeling the hurt. No one's fully come back. And and I think part of that is tied to people not going into the office like they were. Absolutely. People working yep. from home. Yep. It, I think we're going to be feeling the effects. We're going to be f- having this feeling of coming out of COVID for some time. And it and it will, well, I don't know if it will never, but it may never look like it looked pre-COVID, that there is yeah. a new normal of what these things look like, um, which could be okay so long as the proprietors of these bars and restaurants can can manage it. And that's not an easy thing, especially as, you know, people need higher wages and and deservedly so need higher wages. And it's such a complex, complex issue. Um, You know, I I, I would just urge people, support your locals. Go out there. They're your (laughs) friends, right? They've supported you. You know, they've, they've brought you and your families together help them out. You know, it's just as simple as that. You know, I'm going to continue to do my part and Jason, I know you will as well. So. Yeah. I was mentioning Ben Weldy in the intro to today's episode and, and catching up with him. And we were talking about our, you know, shared love of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And I was actually telling him about travel bar mm-hmm. with, uh, with Mike. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it's, it's got this element of the old Scottish slash British public house where you would you would leave your home and, and you would go to the, the public house. Yeah. The pub. The pub. Yeah. But but the, the pub was your living room. Yeah. And it's where you saw your friends and yeah. it's where you had a drink and you saw the, the landlord, the publican, mm-hmm. and and you checked in with them and the thought of Mike being behind his bar. If that bar's open and Mike's behind that bar, yeah. you know you've walked into Mike's quote-unquote house. You're saying hi to him. You're seeing mm-hmm. how he's doing. You're mm-hmm. seeing other people from the neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the hope is, and I've, I've had pubs like this in Scotland where you walk in and it's where your friends live. 
And it is yeah. so cool and, and so much of society and what it means to be in a society, in a community. Mm-hmm. And it, it is so heartwarming and it, it, it worries me so much. In, not just in America, you know, we obviously have it now in Scotland and now in the UK, um, where you walk into these franchised places yeah. and it's it's same place yep. anywhere, right? Yeah. Yep. And 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 there's there's such a concern that it's so familiar that you can go in and you can know what to expect. Yeah. And it's it's not gonna be a great experience, but it's not gonna be a terrible experience either. It's gonna be absolutely perfectly middle of the road. And to to lose that sense of people mm-hmm. and locality mm-hmm. and community is such a shame. And so I absolutely uh, sing Mike's praises from the rooftops and and the various people that you mentioned in your incomplete list uh, at the beginning as well. And more beyond that. I think the last thing I'll say about it is I think it's important to remember that your experience at a local pub is not just about you. It's about the people that own it. It's about the people who have served you and and cared about you. And when you lose that aspect of it, when you just go because you need something that's, that's comfortable, regardless of where you are, like that's okay. But there's something special about supporting the, the small people and, and helping them out. And, you know, it's, it's like that old do unto others as you would have done unto you, right? So support those around you. They're going to support you. So, yeah. 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 All right. We better wake up the paper boy because something... Wicked this way comes. Important. Oh, right. (laughs) History, history. Read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble. Jason, what's better than having (laughs) two people on a podcast? Four people on a podcast. Okay. What's (laughs) less better than having four people on a podcast? One person on the podcast. Okay. What's twice as better as having one person on a podcast? No, three times is better. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, Joshua, it's having Jess Lomas on a podcast. Now you're cooking with Crisco. <laughs> Hi, Jess. Hi. I don't think I've ever been the solution to Matt's problem. <laughs> Jason just made that even more problematic Right As someone who massively avoids maths at all costs That's quite upsetting I was not ready But wouldn't it be brilliant though If you were, had been in math class As a teenager And the answer had been yourself oh my like, gosh. I think that would have worked with a teenage version of us Oh yes mm, I still think the answer is a no from me But thanks for the offer It's very kind of you <laughs> I think the answer is 42. Yeah. Well, the, the answer today is Jess Lomas. That is so, true. That is true. Who is not 42, are. but thanks. 
<laughs> Either or me or Jason. <laughs> so it's never the answer. Okay. How are things going? We asked, today's episode has been checking in on Chicago and checking in on Minneapolis and Brooklyn. And how's Glasgow? How are things looking mm. this whiskey season in Glasgow? <clears throat> Look, at, it's actually, and I'm only saying this quietly so people don't get the idea this is regular, it's actually not raining outside. All right. It's a very oh. confusing uh, situation to be in. Uh, the little fragment of light I can see out the window. looks It looks okay. So, really, I can't do any complaining. Well, you, you know minute. as well as I do, Jess, that today's rain is tomorrow's whiskey. Oh, my God. I know you say that constantly. You have that on a T-shirt, I believe. Yeah, with a whole heap of other swear words following it. Like, honestly, you know how some people like to have a the concept of a swear jar? Oh, you said a bad word, put some money in a jar. Or probably now it's like an iZettle machine. Tap your phone here. If I could have a pound for every time somebody said today's rain is tomorrow's whiskey, I could buy several very expensive bottles of whiskey a week. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you could have been invested in multiple casks. Ooh, there you go. Several very safely authorised. No. Uh, I, just, uh, I, I don't know. Ha- why happy, all... cows. Ha- happy, happy cows. Happy cows is kind of annoying. Cows. Kind of annoying, but I, I, yeah, there's just something about today's rains, tomorrow's whiskey irritates me so much more. It's like, it's like a full body reaction. <laughs> so now that I've admitted this on the podcast, I know everybody is going to say it to me. So just don't. I won't share yeah, nice whiskeys with you. Yeah, thanks. Jason. Today's whiskey thanks. is tomorrow's hangover. That's what I like to say. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I want somebody at the upcoming Glasgow's Whiskey Festival to pick up one of our bottles in front of you and ask you if this was yesterday's rain. <laughs> then you and need to be... point out the age statement It's like, come on <laughs> Then I'll have to do some quick maths As to how many years times 365 Or 366 if it was a leap year All right, Days ago, was. rain it was <laughs> And I, I just think that'll be awful Please don't do that to me Kind mm. listeners of the pad mm-hmm. the, the, nice, the people who listen to the podcast wouldn't do that They're very nice people mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, they are jokers, though. They they are pranksters and schemers. There's they're, no doubt about that, though. They're jokers. They're midnight tokers. Like oh, yeah. they're everything. I was trying to. I was trying to join the dots, but you got there before me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are, are definitely jokers. In the stream. Like this week, I um, with little to no consideration as to what the outcome of this would be. Last week, I put a picture on Instagram of some samples that I was making up for our various retailers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I uh, put a picture up, a kind of whimsical, "Oh hey, who thinks they would like some of these?" And I really need to stop doing that because it turns out people pay a lot more attention to my Instagram than I had previously assumed. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, when you put a little asterisk saying. There is a, a postage consideration that will be made here. It turns out mm. that our kind, kind listeners of the podcast in America don't think that includes them. Right. Yeah. On behalf of all Americans, Jess, I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like being the bad guy and letting people down. And to be like, oh, are you in the US? And getting a reply being like, yes, I'm in Wisconsin and can't wait to taste your whiskey. Like, oh, hmm. So there's, there's a little workaround that I'm, I may have in place for a couple of people, okay. but I got a lot, and I mean a serious lot of responses. So some of them are very nice. I asked people to nominate other people. So do you know if Ooh. you think you should try them or if there's someone you think should try them. So there was some very nice nominations coming through to people. 
Oh, that's that makes me doubly bad that I haven't given them whiskies. Uh, not all of somebody. Somebody had suggested that the sample winners should just be located within walking distance of my office, and I haven't done that. I have genuinely sent some samples all over the place. Was that suggested by Christopher Hallstrom? Oh, no, he's, he's already in the boot of the car, robbing me blind. He doesn't even. Need to, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't wait for them to be samples. Uh, yes, that was a friend of mine who works in a. A very well-known shop not far from my office. Uh, and uh, so I thought, no, no. So I have, there was a, a little visit to the post office where uh, a select wow. bunch of samples have been sent away. So uh, well, I should write kind. a memo to myself being like, don't, just shut up, don't put the, I should, ins- should channel my inner Jason. Don't, don't oh. social media. Don't tell people what you're doing. Don't tell them where you are. Uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, but it will not stop me. I'll probably do it again. Uh, yeah, so there's going to be some samples that have gone out to various people who responded to my um, <laughs> my nonsensical, who thinks it'd be funny to receive some RW5, uh, and some retailers, the people who we really need to have tasting the liquid, got <laughs> a box, a bunch of samples. I delivered a few of those in person uh, and sent a few with the post. Um, and a few of them have gone to some of our other ROW partners around the world. So, yeah, the ROW5 is out in a, a tiny, tiny, small dram size worth um, out in the world. On a larger scale, a good chunk of it is getting some snazzy UK duty stamps applied to it this week. Mm. The HMRC mm. elves are busily uh, putting stickers on those bottles saying that they have been duty paid and <laughs> I was going to say safe for consumption. I don't mean that. I mean, uh, ready to be consumed. Hashtag drink responsibly. Uh, so, so, right. Yeah. So for the people who who don't follow you on Instagram or maybe have missed your Instagram <laughs> story, I know that's few and far between, right? Awkward, well, we do have yeah. about forty forty thousand ish listeners to this to this podcast. You're discussing our fifth ROW release. Could you mm-hmm. remind the listener what's in that and, and what hopefully we'll be hitting UK shelves sh- shortly and, and some of the other countries. We don't have to make the list, but, you know, let's make the list of bottlings that, that we're talking about here. That's good. I was anxious we were going to create a definitive list of things <laughs> that are not necessarily definitive. But I can, de- I can tell you, having emptied five casks, that there is a definitive list of things that are available to uh, zoom off around the world. So we have, I'm calling them our fantastic five for five. Um, I was trying to work with some sort of clever Enid Blyton, like famous five, fantastic five. But um, I thought maybe we'd get sued. So we'll just move on. Uh, we have five <laughs> casks for our fifth release. Uh, so we have, um, off the top of my head, we have an Ardnamurken in Bourbon. That's mm-hmm. our very first, 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 first. Arden American cask. That's a six-year-old uh, from a barrel, and it is delicious. Um, like Agreed. I would call it pure Arden American. No, pure in the way that mm. um, the SWA will come and shut you down for referencing pure, pure malts, those kinds of things. <laughs> um, it's an unpeated Arden American in a bourbon barrel. Yum yum. Uh, next, we have a Dal Yuan, which is thirteen years old. Um, this is the one that I think people who perhaps like to look at whiskey colours may be excited about mm-hmm. uh, because it is, uh, I think Jason calls it a sanguine copper colour. I, I don't know what Farron Bowl colour chart you're looking at when you came up with that. Yeah, I, 
but that's, that's like a black as night one to me, to my eyes yeah. at least. I, th- I thought the but profession- see when you hold it to the light, you see the light shine through thick blood. That's that's the reward that you get. So see, I hold it up wonderful. to the moon. You hold it up to the moon, yeah. it's and a then very howl different while you're at it. To have right, we're back weird... to werewolves again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should try so holding it up to Uranus. It's a completely different picture. Well, you know. That's probably slightly more limber than I would suggest you need to be for picking the, colours of whiskey. The planet, guys. The planet. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's a long way away. You need to... Okay, moving on quickly. That's been in First Hill Sherry for <laughs> 27 months. So it is... I think we were technically calling it darker shit, but you can... You can <laughs> sanguine copper it all you like. Uh, next on my list, we've got um, the thing that I keep witching about is the Westland. Um, our yes. first ROW Westland, but not our, obviously not our first first Westland. Um, but the first Westland for me. Um, and that has been in a Banyuls cask for just over half of its life. It has mm-hmm. been... Um, yeah, that's that was its second maturation. It started out in, I think, New American Oak. Um, and we brought that in. It was painfully complicated to bring it in. It's a nine-year-old. It's very delicious. <laughs> I don't know how else to say how delicious it is. And it's paining me massively that I'm apparently not allowed to keep the entire outturn for myself. <laughs> you, you are. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just placing fake POs. Oh yeah, look, sold out to my backyard. There is going to come a day when those POs become due. Is the uh, is the only thing, right? Like your money's as good as any retail store's money. So that is true, and also a difficult proposition I've not considered yet. So we'll move on. <laughs> um, so that's our kind of uh, first three, and then we have an Invergordon 26-year-old from a refill hogshead. I'm mm-hmm. really excited about this because it's a return to um, single cast nation bottling an Invergordon. Uh, we've, mm-hmm. we've bottled quite a lot of them, haven't we? Um, I think it's my uh, favourite uh, grain whiskey. Mm. This is a, a, a good age. Uh, I'm going to call it a mid-age because we've done some older Invergordons. Um, but it's not a particularly young whiskey. Of course, 26-year-old is not a young whiskey for a nope. single cask green whiskey. Delicious. Uh, and then for my not whiskey offering, uh, I've got a pre-rum, which is a 12-year-old, which is also really tasty. So, so I have to ask you a question about the pre, because the nose, and these are Jess's words, the nose <laughs> leads with warm, sunny bananas. Mm-hmm. And... And what what does one mean by warm, sunny bananas? Well, I would have thought, Jason, it's pretty obvious <laughs> that you are eating a banana split <laughs> on a beach, probably Troon. Uh, no, I think this uh, this pre for keen keen eyed and keen eared listeners of the podcast, um, we released an pre in the US last year at around about mm-hmm. this time, and that mm-hmm. was like a really seasonally appropriate rum yeah it was really piney it was like you'd taken a, a christmas absolutely. tree and distilled it yeah this apri sure. yep. is absolutely nothing like that huh. this apri yeah. is and that's why when we wrote the tasting notes i wanted to really kind of highlight the kind of tropicaliness and the fruitiness of what's happening mm. here because mm-hmm. this is all of that kind of like 
yummy tropical fruits, bananas. Uh, what else do we have on it? Oh, gosh, we really did lose our minds. Look for warm hay in a horse barn, roasted agave, star anise. I clearly, clearly mm. when we wrote this, we were hungry. Like, these are tasting notes <laughs> well, of hungry people. I remember this this roasted agave note that yeah. once we got it, we couldn't unget it. Yeah. And it is a remarkable component of this rum. And yes, you absolutely... You're spot on here. My gosh, the, the person of this episode has been Ben Weldy because he's now going to get a third mention, which is when he was going to the store to get his Chiacharo, the store also had the Apri from last year. Yep. And I was talking to him about that being a fireside sipping rum, distilled pine tree. Um, you know, Christmas, a Christmassy rum is not a thing you hear of. Mm-hmm. To now have this Apri being almost a mezcal-like rum was very unusual as well. And this shape-shifting Ypri mm-hmm. is a wild Brazilian rum. Like, yeah. I, I'm, that's really cool. And what I liked about this is it's bananas, but in lots of different forms. So we had the idea of, you know, like if you um, maybe kind of like roast a banana at the end of a... A barbecue, when I used to go on, like, brownie mm. camp, we would do... Mm-hmm. You'd wrap a banana up. Well, you'd slice it, put, like, chocolate coins into it, and then wrap it back up mm-hmm. in foil and put it in the bottom of the barbecue. Mm-hmm. I personally hate bananas, so I just use the chocolate. But I like banana what? in its form what? of this. I just, it's a texture thing. What? It's, a, it's a very confusing thing I think thing we need to, to rewind here. A hatred of you bananas, Jess. Yeah. You still don't like bananas? still don't like... I will eat That's them. Bananas. It's a texture thing, so I'll eat, like... I will eat banana bread, the thing that everybody made during lockdown. <laughs> um, I will eat plantain. I will eat foam bananas, which are also in this apri. <laughs> I just just wouldn't eat a banana. I, and it is that it's a hundred percent. It's a texture thing. I just can't. Wow, okay. this may be my then, my most favorite quote of the day. I just oh shit! Now I forgot the quote. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that podcast listeners is a true soundbite. <laughs> the whole time I was thinking, oh, that's like it's almost a song title. I just don't, I just don't like bananas. I just can't. I just, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The Boomtown Rats. That was the B side to <laughs> "I Don't Like Mondays." Uh, the B side was "I Do." I just don't like bananas. Just don't just like it's bananas. a texture thing. Was it in parentheses. Definitely. <laughs> I've really, I've realized as an adult, lots of things that I don't like to eat mm. comes from the texture, maybe more than the flavor. A little oh, bit the smell, yeah. but a lot of it's texture. Yeah. Um, yep, and I, sure. so yeah, just can't. I if I can get a fruit smoothie that doesn't have banana, I'm definitely picking that one because it ruins everything. Mm. And it all yeah. tastes of banana. It doesn't have banana. And yet, wow. when it's in alcohol, it is absolutely acceptable. <laughs> I'm worried when I finally turn up in Connecticut to eat these world famous pizzas, the only ones available will be banana pizzas, <laughs> and I'll just have to be the hungry child at the table who eats nothing. Or just don't want oh. any bananas. So, so Jess, I'm, I'm going to have you talk out of school here because this, this banana controversy is going to take us down. <laughs> I didn't um, realise that was really going to throw you for a loop, but okay, go for it. I'm going to bring up something a lot less controversial. When you, when you <laughs> picked up these, these spares uh, from our bottling hall, for, for the interest of the, of the listener, we don't ship partial cases anywhere. Uh, Jess yeah. actually collects them from our bottling hall mm-hmm. and, then and uses them for, for, for different things. For appropriate sampling. <laughs> Hashtag, please sample Wink. the whole bottle responsibly. <laughs> Did you 
did you unscrew the cap on the Westland at, 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 a, at a very quick juncture, at a distant juncture? Did you hold off? Have you done it yet? At what point did you say, I am finally tasting this Westland from bottle? <laughs> I can honestly say, hand on heart, I did not crack it until I got home <laughs> because I wouldn't have been able to stop myself. No, it's because uh, I just wanted to be... Um, I wanted that kind of little bit of anticipation and excitement to have just subsided a little bit before I uh, tried it. I have obviously had actually surprisingly little of it um, because mm-hmm. I've been busy making samples. So I have had a little glass while I've been making a sample. Uh, but I took the pictures, so some of you may have seen, I took the pictures um, of the bottles uh, on the estate where our bottling hall is. I took them for a walk, which uh, got me a lot more attention than I was hoping for uh, because um, lots of people were walking past with their dogs because it's a nice spot to walk your dog. Um, and uh, several people asked me if I was having a party. Uh, one man offered to help me drink all of them, which, considering, dear listeners, there was five bottles that was awful generous of him. Uh, we don't have a hashtag for that. We do not. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he said, uh, are you having a party? So, oh no! I often just take five bottles of spirits for a walk with me. <laughs> for a walk right. in the woods. Yeah, just for a walk in the woods on my own, and then I put them back in my bag and I get back in the car. There is a very lovely um, kind of red tin church um, on the side of the estate that I was trying to take artistic pictures with. There's a car park at the side of it. Um, but people kept driving their bloody cars in and parking, uh, and it looked a bit weird. I couldn't like I was having to kind of like get down on all fours to get the right angles. It just wasn't working. So there was one guy in his car who watched me line up all the bottles, take some pictures, put them all back in the bag and then drive out the car park. So I would love to know if you are listening, what on earth you thought I was doing. So yeah, I was taking a few kind of arty pictures. There's a lovely kind of, um, you might have seen, there's a lovely kind of like stone top that's got carving. It looks Mm, a bit like a maze into it. That's really good for pictures. So uh, I was up there taking pictures and then I got in the car and drove home. So, so my, so my question for, for once you got home and I love the fact that you were super responsible here, when you got home and you, you had a little taste of the Westland, one of the things for Joshua and I, you know, being over here in the US, by the time we've made a selection and it's been bottled and it's been imported and it's been distributed, mm-hmm. by the time it gets to us, a few months have passed since we last tried it. Sure. And so for you having the privilege of driving down to the bottling hall, was the Westland how you had remembered it? Were some other characteristics pulled from it? What was your experience? It was pretty much what I remember. Um, I've got a tiny drag left, actually, from a sample that Anna brought me mm. all the way from mm. Westland when we saw her. So I haven't done it yet, but maybe I'll do a little comparison, see what the finished product looks like compared to, obviously, the sample she brought me was just pulled straight from the cask. So maybe mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a difference. It is pretty much how the samples were when I remember writing them when we mm-hmm. sat down and wrote okay. the tasting notes and the colour observations. Um, it's not wildly different. It is just really delicious. It's, it is as um, rich and intense as I remember it being. It's definitely rich dram to drink, but in a quite an unusual way because I think when we talk a lot about whiskies and about rich whiskies, we tend to be thinking about sherry casks. And obviously, because this is not yeah. a sherry mm-hmm. cask, it isn't rich in the way that I think we have trained ourselves to use certain words and feelings about discussing a whiskey. I don't think it is like that. 
Um, it's also surprising because it's relatively low ABV, naturally. A bit like when we bottled the Magmira, um, it's a lower ABV. Mm-hmm. So this came out at 49.8. So I think as well, sometimes mm-hmm. when people mm-hmm. drink whiskeys they t- and they do that face and they go, oh, that's very strong. I think it's because it's the alcohol reacting on your palate. <laughs> Unless you are a seasoned, <laughs> brackets, slightly alcoholic drinker and you're used to drinking stronger drinks. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like now I don't really pull a face until it's probably, as a general, until you get kind of creeping closer to 60. Um, My sweet spot for me is mid-50s whiskey. Um, And I think that's also why a lot of people, when they Mm. go down the rabbit hole of drinking single cask whiskeys, when they go back to maybe a core product that's at 40% like they tend to be in the UK, people are like, oh, it's so boring. It's because they're used to all that activity of the alcohol on their palates. Uh, and I think that's why some people can yeah. sort of describe whiskies as being a bit thin. But this Westland is definitely mm-hmm. not thin at 49.8. There's a lot of stuff happening in there. So I'm really excited to put it sure. in front of people's faces um, and to see what they think. This is the one that I'm going to give the meanest pour of. Because it really, it's also got the smallest outturn and I really just, I can't. <laughs> Jokes, guys. I use, Your pours I of use this. measured pourers. They're all the same, sadly. Um, <laughs> yeah, are your pours of this going to be a sample for you, dear festival attendee? One for Pour me. for me. I'm working very hard behind this. Yeah, table. you gotta, you gotta do it like this: one for you, one for me, two for you, one, two for me, three for you, one, two, three for me. <laughs> that is why we were not invited back to Glasgow Whiskey Festival. No, um, <laughs> that would be really sad. I'd be very sad if that happened. I also wouldn't be able to manage two sessions of a whiskey festival if we started playing one for me, one for you. Um, yeah, that would be terrible. So as you have mentioned, these five and a couple of other little, I'm going to have a little rummage through the archive stock. Um, I will take with me to Glasgow Whiskey Festival next month. Awesome. We're nearly in next month. Yeah, That's yeah. frightening. Um, on the yeah, when this episode drops, we will be in okay, next well, month. Okay, well, this month that you're listening to, dear Padcast listeners, it will be <laughs> hip hop happening um, at Glasgow Whiskey Festival. So there are two sessions. I think it's sold out. So if you are hoping to get tickets, I, there is a Facebook group uh, where you can uh, find people who maybe are looking to get rid of tickets or um, are looking to swap tickets. Mm. Uh, but as far as I'm aware, everybody who's coming is coming. It's all locked in, locked down. People are ready. I love the fact, Jess, that you're going to be in Seattle one weekend for the launch of Gariana Mm -hmm. 8 and the tasting of the new SCN Westland in Pinot de Chiron Mm -hmm. and the recording of a live uh, Padcost episode at the distillery and the selection of a future SCN Westland Mm -hmm. cask. And then the very next weekend, you will be back in Glasgow pouring at Glasgow's Whiskey Festival and you'll be doing a little bit of pouring in New York in between. Yeah, was, this is a heck of a week coming say, up for you. You've forgotten the important detail for anybody who's familiar did, with the global I map did. is that I'm coming home via mm. New York <laughs> to pour a spot of whiskey. Uh, I come home the day before Glasgow Whiskey Festival. So if Oof. I'm looking a bit sad or realistically I'm just asleep under the table, 
just shout a bit louder and I'll, <laughs> I'll come and pour some whiskey. But I've got two very lovely, willing volunteers, one of whom didn't realise he was volunteered for this service until it was too late, uh, who will be ably assisting me on the table. So obviously Swede Scott and our <laughs> lovely friend Dor, who has done a couple of festivals with us now and he's great. So mm. if I need a little uh, lady boss lie down somewhere else... There will be two friendly faces <laughs> pouring lots of nice whiskeys for you. So that's not a problem. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, what a what a great November week that's going to be. Yeah, for just, you know, like a regular person weekend trip to Seattle, New York home. <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing my usual nonsense trip. How many? It's, it's basically like a kind of pinball, you know, like how many airports can you ping on the way to your final destination? I love that yeah, game. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's what I had in my head. I just envisioned you just bouncing here and then there and then here and then there. And then in December, you come out to Connecticut. Yeah. And even that's not a sensible really route. excited for. So I know, it's, it's, my, it's my favorite game to play, <laughs> you know. So my uh, flight to Seattle, I'm going from here to Dublin, Dublin to Fort Worth in Texas, and then to Seattle. And then Seattle, I'm coming. There's a stopover in South Carolina to JFK. Uh, and then I'm doing JFK home is kind of boring because it's like London, Dublin home. Yeah. I love aeroplanes. I'm such a plane nerd. So I'm just uh, taking my time. Wow. There's going to be so many Jess Lomas sightings. This is very cool. I think the social medias are going to be lit up could do. with uh, with many people taking <laughs> selfies with Jess Lomas. Like, Have you seen this crazy woman who thought about flying <laughs> for a weekend in Seattle? <laughs> Look, if you, as you have listed, all the excited things, exciting things happening in uh, Seattle, you can't say no. You, you two very cruelly dangled it in front of me and shrugged them like, you know, come if you want, as if it was an option. <laughs> <laughs> come if you want. Well, we're not fast. Wow. Uh, I want our I want our dear listeners to know we would never talk to our own dear Jess like that. So that was, uh, never ever. We would love it if you could come and attend. So this. mean listeners are like, so we've got this event coming. You're probably maybe a bit interested. And then obviously I bit all of the hands off immediately and said yes. Oh man. So Gariana eight. I'm excited. I'm excited for the whole weekend. It's gonna be a blast and it happens this very weekend. Yeah. Like imminently. If you're listening to this between November 1 and November 4. <laughs> Obviously, everybody listens immediately <laughs> as soon as it drops. 2023. Yeah, everyone listens as soon as it drops <laughs> in the <laughs> download folder. <laughs> How else would you do it? Yes, I'm very excited about uh, that. And very excited about, I hate, uh, this is for me the worst time. So I have the, the orders in. We're starting to line up the dispatch to various retailers and export and we're in the mercy of HMRC stamping gods. And I just, it's so annoying because I have started obviously sharing pictures and people start saying things like, oh, where can we get these things? And I'm like, soon, you know, I will tell yes, you soon, as soon as I know yes. things have landed. Uh, so close. Yeah, my, my answer is, is always that. And call your local retailer, ask for it, ask for it. Yeah. And then they, right, it's. We can always sell to the retailer, but when the customer is asking for the bottling, yeah. we'll pay even more attention. Absolutely. I have to give a big shout out to Craig and the guys up at Tindrum, who were especially mm. excited to hear about the release of our Westland. 
it's nice to find other Wes Wesson nice. friends. Yep. Uh, so I yep. think you yep. will see that popping up all over the place. We've got um, a lot of the usual suspects orders are in. Just got a couple more coming in. So yeah, I'm hoping by the end of the week we can start getting these to retailers. And then when people say, hey, when are these arriving? I can shrug and be like, it's not in our warehouse. It's not a me problem. It's a retailer problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, guys. You know I love sharing where it is. Um, yeah, so you yeah. will see it in all the usual spaces, I think, um, very soon. I have been caught out several times, as you all know, on the podcast. I come in and I say dates, some of which I've made up, and then on those dates which I have made <laughs> up, people contact me and say, so you said. And I think, <laughs> what? Because uh, yep. soon. it's very soon. essential soon. that soon. you soon. listen soon. to the podcast with an soon. open soon. diary and a pen. Ready to write down these essential <laughs> informations and details to be um, calling us out on. To be fair, we were ready to have you on this uh, podcast an episode ago and just didn't coordinate it. So <laughs> here we are. It's even closer to the release date for the ROW5 bottles. True. We are talking this week, which is very yeah. exciting. We'll yeah. start moving this week. Awesome. Very cool. Oh, well, thank you, Jess. Uh, yeah. Very best of luck and... I, I know that you are very much in love with all five of these bottles. And I know we give the Westland more of a spotlight because of your declared Westland love. But I know we're all three of us are super excited about that first oh Ardner Merkin. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. I know we've got that lovely, lovely sanguine copper <laughs> Dal Ewan in there. Mm-hmm. A return to Invergordon. Another weird and wacky mm-hmm. pre-Brazilian rum. Yeah, really, really pleased with all five yeah. of them. It's gonna yeah. be a really. I good think they time. have a nice. Yeah. Um, they're a nice kind of mixed box of snacks. You know, there's a bit of something for everybody. There's a bit of sherry. There's a bit of international. There's a bit of. Um, I had. I did also revisit the Ardnamurkan because obviously I brought home little cask samples from when we were up at the distillery, um, that I sent to you guys versus our finished bottle thing. And I was t- as soon as I started drinking that, I was taken straight back to being in the warehouse with Graham and Connell and Jenny, Amazing. and just Amazing. Oh, so good. Uh, so I'm really, really pleased with that. Do we do, do we have a little spoiler alert? Could we do a little spoiler alert for... Um, I think we may have mentioned it, so this may just be a fake news spoiler alert, but we picked okay. two Ardnamurkin casks. Uh, we have Correct. we have talked Correct. about that. So, I think we've talked think about we that, right? For I think we were in Elgin when we talked about that. Probably. Ah, yeah. Because we were so, talking about the Ardnamurkin moment. Um, but yeah, we. Exactly. So there's a, a a kind of a nice counterpoint to this Arden American is going to the US. Uh, that's a little shared number. So indeed, mine's a little bourbon number. They're both unpeated, but they are absolutely delicious. And I, um, I think they're really shining. <laughs> Pick them, uh, but <laughs> I think they're really great examples of what uh, the kind of <laughs> flexibility that Arden American offers. Sometimes I think some distilleries when they're young. Peated is better for me because I think uh, peated whiskey um, gives you more to play with, when, especially when it's a younger age whiskey. Um, but I don't think Ardnamur can need that mm-hmm. at all. At six years old, this is an absolute beast. And I, I think it's great. Um, Ardnamur is definitely going to be one. A bit like I was saying about Kilhoman five, six years ago. You know, like this is delicious young, but it's going to be really interesting to watch as the spirit gets older. And those releases become a little bit older as well. I'm, I'm not saying yeah. I want there to be yeah. a core range of Ardnamurkin. In fact, I definitely don't want there to be a core range of 10, 12, 15, 17, whatever. Um, mm. I like that they have the flexibility to do what they like, <laughs> uh, but it, it's really fun to see it. And it, this will definitely be one to watch as it gets older. So, Yeah, it, I've made no bones about it. I've, I've 
Jason, I've told you, Jess, I think I told you as well, like Impex hat off, Arden American has made it to my top five distilleries, period. I think what they're doing, and I think you you hit the nail on the head with the peated versus unpeated. I think, yes, peated spirit sort of gives you more to play with flavor-wise, but it also can hide some mm-hmm. sins as well. And when you get a bottling like this that's that's only six years of age, there are no sins to hide. And there it is, as beautiful as, yeah. as can be. And uh, yeah, anytime I see an Arden American bottling, I get excited. And the fact that we've got two of them, one for ROW and one for the U.S., bourbon and then cherry, it's like... I'm in heaven. I'm so excited yeah. for these. Yep. For for eagle-eared <laughs> listeners, the the single cast nation American Ardnamurkin will be online uh, in the in the early part of 2024. Mm-hmm. Learning from Jess, there will be no dates thrown out here. <laughs> we will just say early 2024 and watch this space. And when it is ready for launch, you better believe you will be hearing yeah, from absolutely. us. Yeah, so. absolutely. There you go. Cool. cool, cool. Well, Jess, we better let you go and, and get selling these because listeners are ready to buy them from yeah, retailers. Yeah, they're all waving their so money in the air already. We cannot take up. Shut up and take the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't you make the joke previously about just put your phone against this uh, this podcast and we can I take really your money that way? I really want to patent that technology. Can you imagine? Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> you upload their money and we'll, we'll upload the whiskey. I mean, like, logistically, that right? would be an absolute <laughs> nightmare. But I just think the novelty of being like, yes, I will have that. Bing. Paid. Done. <laughs> right. It's over. All right. Well, with, with, with Jess heading out of here, Joshua, do you want to take us over the finish line? Yeah, of course. You know, you, you, you brought it up before, Jason. We had uh, Drew Beard writing in. Um, talking about Henry McKenna. If you want to be like Drew Beard or or any of the people that reach out to us, you can reach out to us. Questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. And of course, whiskey is spelled without the E. Uh, info at singlecastnation.com. You can always Instagram message Jess. I'm sure she would love to receive <laughs> receive emails. <laughs> Did I just throw you under no, the bus, I'm Jess? all for it. You can um, find me on the Instas. I'm not promising things on the Instas. Careful. <laughs> but listen, um, as always, you know, it's so great to have the listeners tune in to to listen to us yammer on, but, but also to listen to some of the guests that we speak to as well. And having Mike from Travel Bar on this episode was was really a special thing. So, Mike, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, I promise I will bring both Jason and Jess to Travel Bar, and we will drink all the things. And you need to, Mike, you need to make a Nash cocktail for them because that one was the shit. So I think that's us, guys. I think we need to get out of here and let our listeners get on with their day. <laughs> cheers to all. Oh, okay. Cheers, well, cheers, cheers to, to all. And, and cheers to you, Jess, for, for coming on and telling us all about ROW. I can't wait to see it on websites and on shelves. So oh, yeah. super exciting. All right. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.